Chapter One: The Raising of Snow the Hen. So, you have come back from Miami to challenge me. You think you can overcome your master? Let us see if I have taught you well. Not bad for your first challenge. But you are still far from the truth. Three blade technique. Dragon. Smash. As the saying goes, work of self, obtainment of self. Ongaku. Vintage Hen House. I'm Benoit, your host, and today we're going to have a show um, about a brand which I don't know much about, uh, which is Psycho, and especially Vintage Psycho, and anything Psycho-related, Grand Psycho, King Psycho, Orient, or all these kind of things which I'm not very familiar with. And uh, to talk about this, my guest is uh, Paul. Welcome, Paul, from at Vintage Psycho, also co-founder of at Two Vintage Cycles, and also creator of the Instagram account, Aussie Pogue. So uh, three Instagram accounts, I don't know how he manages it. Welcome, Paul. Thank you, Benoit. And you need, you forgot one there too. So uh, did you mention Psycho Busters? No, I didn't know about that one. <laughs> well, after this, you'll have to go and have a look at that. So so um, let me introduce myself. So here I am. I'm sitting uh, in rural Australia. Uh in a place called Yass, which is just outside Canberra. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, uh, it's hot, as uh, we spoke about before. It's it's probably still, it's what time? It's it's uh, somewhere around 8.30 p.m. And it, I think it's still sitting over 30 degrees Celsius. So um, if you can picture me in a pair of shorts and that's it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just shorts? It just shorts. <laughs> oh, all right. Here we are. <laughs> now, I'm not sure if you wanted to visualize that, but, but there we go. So, no, that's fine. So, so my accounts, yes, I have a few. And, and actually, uh, you mentioned a couple. There is a couple more that I sort of have started things over the years and some things have taken off and some things haven't. They're all still sitting there. And um, But my three, um, you know, my, my uh, home account is um, at Vintage Seiko, just one word, as you mentioned. Um, my, my other, you know, probably my other big account is, is at Seiko Busters, which is one word, which I started uh, three three years ago or so. And yeah. uh, it, it was an account, uh, it's an important account to me because it was an account that, that, uh, that started um, out of a... Um, uh, a desire to share information. So, you know, we talk about vintage Seiko and, and um, uh, among the community, uh, you know, we know there's a lot of aftermarket parts out there, which we can yeah. talk about a little bit later. Um, you, you know, I'm not opposed to aftermarket parts and they have their place. But obviously when you're spending money on vintage watches, you want to know uh, what, what you're buying and what's what. So um, that account was sort of started um, 
you know, for me to share information uh, about, you know, what what, is, what was made by Seiko and what's not made by Seiko. <clears throat> and mixed in amongst that is some, uh, some, you know, a bit of fun. You know, I used to pick up, uh, you know, watches with aftermarket parts from eBay and, and lit, uh, put them up and talk about them and, and say why, you know, why I know that that watch is not worth that money and so on and so forth. So it's a, a fun account. It was it, it was a lot of time. Um, I'll put it, there's a lot of, uh, a, a lot of text in it. So there's a lot to read. Um, so anyone, okay. uh, you know, starting out with this um conversation anyone who's interested in in looking into those sorts of issues should should head to that one and just have a a nose around because um so that's at psycho busters it makes me think of the accounts we all know like you know um wrist busters that's right and and that was inspired definitely inspired by that um wrist busters um is not an account of uh, you know, got, got into and, and read much about, but I, I know it existed, and and that sort of triggered that concept, I suppose, for me. Um, but yeah, so 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 the vintage Seiko, the Seiko Busters, and the, and the the Aussie Pogue account is a recent new account which um, yes. was started uh, really, uh, and it it uh, I hope will progress well because. Um, as you'll find out later, there's um, it's a story that's sort of close to my heart, and um, it's an evolving story, I suppose, as well. So I started that account really to uh, to, to, to celebrate just one particular variant or a couple of variants, uh, really, of the um, Seiko sixty one thirty nine, um, and yeah, more more will come to light in that um, account. I hope. Um, uh, over the months and probably years to come, so um, they're the three that that I, you know that I, that I'm sort of I guess um, proud of and and that I've put a lot of work into. Um, so uh, we're sort of introducing myself and where I am. And yeah, I, I was going to to ask you like uh, maybe how you got into watches in the first place and how you got to where you are now with all these psycho accounts and maybe like all yeah, this knowledge. That's right, and and I think it's important to note also that you know prior to these accounts. Um, I really was a loner <laughs> in the vintage Seiko community um, because uh, it, it sort of ties into my story, which I think is probably a little bit different to, to many in that um, I got into uh, my, my story with Seiko is that I, I bought my first vintage Seiko from a pawn shop in uh, Melbourne on Sydney Road uh, mm-hmm. in the late... Uh, late 80s early 90s uh and it was just okay. a quartz uh watch and it, it, it at the time you know it was just a, a watch that i bought and and liked and wore um and you know for the sort of next i guess you know this is in my early 20s for the next sort of five to ten years of my life seiko wasn't a, a part of my life i had that watch I then went on to buy another Seiko, which was a 7002 uh, Diver with a Pepsi bezel and, you know, owned um, a, a couple of Seikos over a sort of 10-year period, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And then really what happened is, um, I guess, of my own, you know, we're talking no social media. I wasn't on to f- into forums or anything like that. Um, I just It just sort of fell into the hobby um, you know, remembering my watches that I had during those years and sort of remembering back to them and, and you know, sort of 
got myself onto eBay and started looking around. I actually wanted to replace the 702 diver that actually ended up uh, on the bottom of the ocean, I believe. <laughs> so I was, out, I was out in the ocean and it, it came off. I, I didn't know at the time, um, but I, when I came out of the water, it was gone. So that that watch was sort of lost. And really I went, went on to eBay to sort of, you know, sort of go, oh, I wouldn't mind to get that watch back. I'll go and look and see if I can find one to buy. Uh, and so really then I started looking around on eBay and, and got sort of intrigued, you know, by um, yeah. what I saw really, uh, all these different models and um, it really sort of uh, piqued my interest, uh, I suppose. And then, you know, it's well known amongst people who know me that I, I did buy a, a 6139 6012 uh, chronograph which was a um a gold dial watch uh with sort that's of that's a famous uh, pogue right no this wasn't a pogue no? it was it was a similar watch to a pogue uh but okay. it was a um a slightly different one but it was a wreck i just saw it there and it just appealed to me i had this sort of the crystal was just totally obliterated with scratches it looked sort of you know opaque you could barely see the time anyway it was a it was an auction and so i, I threw in a beard and i ended up winning this watch and it's still you've got to remember at this time i you know it was just having a bit of fun i suppose but when this watch arrived um that, that's when i really um really i guess fell in love with the the watches because i was able to take that watch and just restore it just on my own pull it pull it apart it wasn't working properly and i just poked around in the back had a look and sort of tried to figure out in my head what was going on and and why it wasn't running and you know i was able to diagnose it had a um a snapped uh pull lever which i was able to because you could see that you know, under the case back, I could sort of, you know, play around and go, okay, well, that's not meeting with that and that's not winding that. Anyway, so I bought, I got on eBay and bought another 6139 rec and I replaced the part in the back and lo and behold, bang, this sort of watch came to life, you know, and was running yeah. and keeping time. And that was, a, I guess, a little bit of an addictive sort of episode. <laughs> I got a new crystal for it. And then, you know, within a very short period of time here, I've got this beautiful 19... Um, 72, you know, 6139 chronograph on my wrist that was running and keeping time. I mean, it wasn't serviced or anything like that, but it was it was doing its job and I really liked it. And so that watch I still have today. Um, oh, wow. Definitely, because that was a long time ago. Like. Yeah, yeah. And I, I definitely think that's the watch that really, you know, you know, it's like, I guess, if someone restores anything, you know, um, sort of takes something that's sort of, discarded i suppose and you bring it back to life and a lot of collectors of anything you know furniture whatever it may be will understand that feeling of of bringing something back to a useful purpose you know and so really i know that's the point where i sort of got hooked i suppose uh, and yes we're talking you know i think that's around about 15 years ago now so okay so what happened from there is then I just kept going in my own world. I had no friends that were into watches. I had, I wasn't into the internet and forums. Yeah, I did go onto the forums to um, just glean a bit of information about watches. And you know, if I had a problem or an issue or something, I'd go onto a forum 
which I'm very grateful for, uh, and to find out what the issue was and try and solve it myself. So I used it to get sort of technical information, I suppose, but I didn't really talk with anyone. or so. And I did this for 10 years, so just in my own world. And I, and I'm, I built a collection of uh, vintage Seikos and restored them. And, and so by the time, this brings us sort of back to the start, by the time I found Instagram, uh, and, and and the watch community, I suppose, or a watch community, um, you know, I had this cracking collection, <laughs> really, um, <laughs> that sort of spilled onto Instagram and, and sort of, you know, has led me to where I am today, I suppose, uh, which is basically a, a hobbyist enthusiast, you know, and, and, and that stumbling across, you know, other like-minded people was, you were, was a fantastic thing. And, and the people I've met since then, and, and you know, it's just um, been an incredible journey. So I hope that sort of explains uh, a little bit about, you know, my journey and, and you know, um, where yeah, I am. It, it, it feels like a very natural way to fall into the hobby, just on your own. Falling in love with a watch, repairing it, it's and and just basically do, doing it all for yourself and not for the others. That's right. Very very natural, I think. And you know, as opposed to, I guess, and I wouldn't you know hold this against anyone who who gets onto Instagram without knowing much about watches and then falls in love from what they see on there. My journey, I suppose, is a little bit different to that and, and does it did feel a bit more natural looking back on it now for sure. Yeah. So so yeah, I guess um you know that that that's my my story. Um and, and I you know I think um the main thing that keeps coming into my head when I talk about that at the moment is just the what was it about those watches and that watch well there was a bit of nostalgia from my my earlier days funnily mm -hmm. enough uh, that watch that i spoke about the, the 6139 it turned out once i found out the dating system for seiko's it turned out to be made in the exact month and year that i was born so that's always freaked me out a little bit wow. awesome <laughs> so so you even get a sentimental tie uh, definitely this watch yeah. it's it's funny because the way i got into it uh, i i live in france close to besançon which is home of french uh, watchmaking uh, historically and uh, the brand the lip sure and uh and i remember I, I i i liked watches but without much knowledge and much thought and i stumbled on uh on a, on a vintage watch seller uh, account on Instagram who sold the vintage watches in the, in the US. And uh, they had a lip watch, an old lip watch from the 40s or 50s. And, uh, and they were selling it. And I was just wondering, well, how did that watch get over there in New York? It was made in France in Besançon by a brand which no longer exists and which has a lot of history in, um, in France. And uh, and it's for sale and it works and that kind of got me into it and and I'm very interested and right down the rabbit hole <laughs> in kind of the same way as you like first of all on your own just thinking hey maybe I maybe I can find old lip watches around me for cheaper and uh, have them repaired here because there are a lot of watchmakers and then wear them and this kind of similarities when it comes down naturally very like this. Nice. Very much, and and um, just on the the um, the lip, and so th there are more. There is that what you've found in your journey? Yes, yeah. So 
basically uh, the seller was selling it like for four hundred dollars or something, and I was thinking, you know, not being a watch collector or a watch nut or anything, that's very expensive sum of money. Sure. <clears throat> and I thought maybe I can find one cheaper around where I live. So I searched and I found basically the same watch for eighty euros. Yeah, being made there, there there's there's got to be more around your local region. And, and yeah, that that where you say that that uh, point that you made about watches ending up, you know, other side of the world and so on and so forth is, is another thing that's always amazed me because with vintage Seiko, you you kind of um, you know, you can tell from day wheels and certain things where uh, watches were were uh, destined for. So obviously Seiko had their own uh, Japanese domestic market watches. And then they had what we call, uh, we refer to as row, which is um, rest of world. So so with Seiko, you know, obviously being in Japan, there's there's the domestic model. And these these watches, um, you had different specs to the, the watches that were sent out to the rest of the world. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and that was because, uh, you know, some of the laws in certain countries, like jewel counts and things like this. So, so the yeah. JDM watches might have a 21 jewel movement. But if they sent that watch to, you know, let's say they wanted to sell that watch in, in Iran or wherever, they they would uh, reduce the jewel count to bring it down under a luxury import tax sort of thing. So, but mm-hmm. along those lines with, with day wheels. And so, you know, uh, you get to learn that certain watches, you know, were, were sent to certain markets because Seiko, you know, was a, a worldwide market eventually. Uh, and you and you say you think to yourself, how on earth did that watch with you know that day wheel is obviously for that market end up you know over there, and and obviously that with Seiko has happened you know a lot, uh, and it always fascinates me as well. So I can relate to your point there, but um, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, your other big is Yema French, is it? Yes, well, Yema was also a brand from Besançon, but the difference with Lip is that Lip was a real manufacturer. They had their own calibers, sort of being the kind of yeah, and they kind of revolutionized industrial watchmaking in the in the fifties and and sixties. You know, with uh, like semi-automated chains of productions and things like this. And it was basically the biggest French manufacturer at the time. Sure. And Yema was a, was a French brand, but they didn't have their own movements. Yeah. So they basically made cases, dials, sure. hands, uh, or, or had them made and, and assembled yeah. like many brands at the time. But it's okay. still also part of the part of the French uh, paysage, I would say, French scenery of watchmaking. Of, of and it seems obvious to me that Lip, uh, you know, I know very little about them, but whenever I see them, they have you know, sort of quite um, different designs. And so they mm-hmm. collaborated with, did they collaborate with designers and things like um, that? Well, Lip has a very uh, turbulent history because uh, there were wars and uh, there were conflicts, and so you had lips made in Besançon and then moved to south of France in Valence, and uh, partly made also in, in Geneva, so you get... And, and Lip was also a retailer and sold through newspapers, basically, right. um, selling at a distance. Yeah. Um, so there were also retailers, and that's why sometimes you find Breitlings with Lip on the dial or, uh, or 50 Fathoms, 
Um, and uh, they, there was a lot of social turmoil in the 70s yeah. with riots, with the employees taking over the manufacturer. So the watches, a lot of watches from the 70s were actually made uh, by Lip, which wasn't a legal company anymore, basically. Gotcha. But just, but just led by a resistance of uh, employees who wanted to to keep the company running, and there was a big fight with auction with um, shareholders. Sure, it made the headlines in France, and uh, the battle, uh, the social battle of the lip workers in the seventies is one of the biggest social battle in French history. So really, it made the news at the time, and eventually, lip closed down. And it still exists, but it's run by a Chinese conglomerate. Sure. And so, when did they sort of? When did the brand sort of restart? I guess is. Um... Uh, it 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 kind of uh, ended in the early seventies. It yeah. restarted quickly. You know, it it didn't die all at once. Right. So it was restarted, and when they restarted it, uh, the the new owners, which weren't the uh, the Lip family anymore, called on the designers, the famous Roger Talon. Uh, Rudy Mayer to make all this line of 70s watches with all these strange colors and shapes that we often associate with it. Yes. So so these watches date from a certain period in the 70s and are really iconic and you had a reissue for sale on 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 your That's right. cycle. Yeah, yeah, which is it's a totally yeah. coincidence. Uh, yeah. And 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 I just the, the last watch I bought is an original new old stock one. Uh, a Roger Talon automatic uh, from the 70s in, in pristine condition, which I found, which I was lucky to find. And uh, it's they are really fun watches. But before that, you have a lot of uh, mechanical watches, you know, like the one I have on my wrist. Maybe, maybe we can do the other uh, wrist checks. I have really? a lip, lip dress watch, uh, black dial steel case, 33 millimeters from... Probably the late forties, early fifties. It's it's the time they didn't have the anti shock on the calibers yet. Yeah, uh, and so you have a whole array of watches, and they were the first brand to to produce an electromechanical watch at the time in the sixties. The very first brand. That's right. Yeah, I, was, I think I read about that recently. So there's certainly. Um... You know, a fantastic company, and it's um, I'm, 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 you've got me interested. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is. Don't, don't, it is interesting. Don't do that. Don't do that to me. Okay. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it, it's 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 also very emotional because uh, I live in Besançon. I I I grew up in Besançon. I I lived in the UK for five years when I was a kid, but I came back to Besançon. And and when you're in Besançon. You pass pass all these old buildings, the the old Zenit manufacturer, the Dodan manufacturer, the lip buildings. You know, it's 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 part of your everyday life, and you see Dodan in the big letters on a big brick building, and and at first it doesn't mean anything to you, but then when you go down the rabbit hole and search the history and look at the watches, and you think, you know, seventy years ago in this place, that's right. Two streets away from where I live, they were producing these watches, and I have one on my wrist, and it's still running. Yeah, and it's still beautiful. And, and maybe like you, with your psycho, you kind of grew up with it, and then finding out that there's so many models all around the world, all the variations, different markets. It it's emotional, you know, and that's probably okay. the best part about collecting vintage watches. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, wrist check. Well, um, today, uh, you know, I, um, I'm wearing a panda. 
So, you know, the six, Calibre 60 run 38, AE 20, one of my favourite vintage Seikos, very popular now. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about, a, you know, people think the, the, the Seiko Panda, do you know the watch I'm talking about? So, um, Is that the one you posted eight hours yeah, ago? Yeah, you saw uh, my account today. So we've got two, two sub-dials. Um, at six and twelve. That's right, and and you know people think these are a black and white watch, you know, the sort of monochrome, but you know in reality, it's a silver linen dial, uh, so it has a, um, a vertical brush dial, I suppose. Yeah. Um, you know, and you can look at this dial, and it can look totally from one angle, it can look totally flat uh, silver. You cannot mm-hmm. see any of the linen. You turn it, and and all of a sudden, these sort of these vertical lines, you know, come and and I always say they're a little bit like fingerprints because um, I've probably held, you know, over the years, I've probably held twelve to fifteen of them in my hands. You know, they've passed through my hands, and you can look at each dial, and they, they sometimes the linen dials, the the vertical lines are a bit more prominent. Sometimes they're a little less prominent. They have a sort of, uh, you know, um, some of the vertical lines are a bit thicker, I guess is the way to describe mm-hmm. it. So obviously they cut these dials out of a sheet. I guess I, I'm not too sure on the process, but but certainly I've never held two the same, which is just a really great thing. Uh, and so you've got awesome. a, silver, a silver linen dial. The sub-dials are actually a, a dark, uh, I suppose. Grey maybe? Yeah, dark grey. They're not black. They're dark grey, and then the the date window is a lighter grey, and and your, your tacky ring is black. So, yeah, when I when I see people say, "Oh, the panda, the black and white," you sort of say, "Well, you know, have you ever actually held one? They're not <laughs> black and white. You can't appreciate one until obviously you hold it." Um, and the sixty one thirty eight, you know, is a great caliber in that you know Seiko. I talk to. Uh, collectors who are into uh, are not into Seiko, and then they often complain that a lot of the the automatic watches uh, you can't hand wind. So the sixty one thirty nine is a classic, you know, the Pogues and all these. Yeah, they're non. You know, there's no way to hand wind these watches, mm-hmm. you know. And so uh, basically, you know, essentially um, the sixty one thirty nine came first with the sub dial at six that just counted your thirty minutes down the bottom and then uh, that their next development was to add the 12 hour uh, sub dial at 12 mm-hmm. o'clock so to give you that extra uh, counting ability um, but also the hand winding uh, function as well so they're a great caliber i personally you know with the 6139 i, I don't care one iota that they don't hand wind you know i don't know why people complain about that but i could see from a technical standpoint obviously you know you leave your watch off your wrist for a few days it is nice to pick it up and 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 wind it you know and, and know that it's gonna you know kick off and and away it goes so the particular example i've got uh, in my hand is one that you know i said a few have passed through my hand so it's you know why did i hold on to this one um, I guess it's a little bit of a long story, but it, it was sold uh, in the regions around here. So it's got a, a Roman English uh, bilingual uh, day, you know, day wheel. Uh, mm-hmm. and I know um, that those watches that came with those day wheels were sold uh, in Southeast Asia. Uh, so down to sort of through the Pacific Islands and into Australia, really. So that was that, that was the day wheels we got in this region, in this part of the world. 
and that's okay. an interesting point in its in itself. Um, so yeah, that lovely watch, uh, and this one um, has its original Stellux bracelet, which is another uh, sort of long story, I suppose. But that bracelet is also uh, from Southeast Asia, so sort of connecting the watch. So when I look at a watch like this and I see that it's got that day wheel and I see that it's got this bracelet, I know that it's sort of an original, uh, it's an all original sort of watch. Uh, so this is the one I hung on to. And I have had a few actually of these and this particular one just had, they have a, um, on the sweep hand, they have a, they have a few different colours for the tip of the sweep hand, the second hand. Okay. Uh, some were red, uh, I believe. Some were yellow and some were a sort of fluorescent orange. Uh, and mm -hmm. the one I've got in my hand, it's got the, the fluorescent orange tip and, and oh, most yeah. were quite faded. Um, and, uh, and I kept this one because the tip of that sweep is, is still quite, you know, um, it obviously hasn't seen much sun over the years. It may, may well have spent most of its life in a drawer, I suppose. Um, and, you know, nice sharp case. That's one of Seiko's only uh, chronographs that came with a full mirror polish case. So um, most most vintage Seikos, their cases will have a brushed surface and a polished surface. So you'll have a, you know, okay. maybe a radial brushing on the top surface and a, a mirror polish on the side, things like that. Or you might have a, a you know, a sunburst or starburst, you know, brushing on top and the polished side. So that was their sort of, you know, their thing. And, you know, this, this one, for some reason, they decided just to mirror polish the whole thing all over with some really nice sharp lines. But it's just a, it's a really, um, I, I call them a classy watch, you know, it's a watch you could wear, mm -hmm. you know, with a, a tux and it would look brilliant. But you can also, you know, wear it down the beach, I think, uh, with a T-shirt, you know, they just, they just work anywhere. Beautiful spine. Oh, and also wear it uh, topless while uh, whilst recording a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's. Uh, I'm, I'm just looking at the pictures. It's a beautiful watch, and you describing the details makes it even more appealing. And I, I just want to come back to the dial because you said the dial was fantastic. And I, while you have had a lot of psychos through your hands, I've had a lot of Yema watches. Yeah, and there's one similarity between the two is the quality of their dials in the 60s, 70s. When you take a vintage cycle, often what stands out is the dial because there are so many variants in colors, in in brushing, in lacquer, and it, it was the same with the Yema watches. If you look at the old Yema divers, very often you have some very basic watches, even with chrome cases and simple movements. Yes, but the dials are just yep. fantastic. Sometimes with right. many. You, you've hit the nail on the head and, 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 and really that point you just made, um, well, you know, I can talk about cases, hands and dials, but, but dials in particular, as you mentioned, and the, the amazing thing with Seiko, you know, Seiko made some very um, basic watches, I guess you'd say, and, mm -hmm. you know, they were very, very prolific. But the attention to detail in every watch, you know, particularly I'm talking, you know, my, my period is, is I guess, uh, 60s, 70s, 80s, up to the 90s mm -hmm. uh, is sort of my zone. And, you know, 70s is my sweet spot, I suppose. 
your late 60s through through all the 70s but their consistency and this is a, a japanese watchmaking thing which you know still continues today uh, to some degree um but, you know uh, that's another topic again uh, we certainly see it in in watches that are still made fully made in japan uh, which some are uh, many aren't um but the, those 70s watches you know I could hold 20, 30, 50, 100 dials of a, of a particular watch in my hand and every one is just perfectly consistent. And we're talking about, you know, your little uh, your little font text, um, you know, yeah. down around your, either side of your 6 o'clock, you know, you've got the little Japan, um, you know, this is the tiny text that really you need a loop to look at properly. Um, the, the consistency, uh, you know, even of the inks and the whole, they, they, they were just absolutely incredibly consistent and they, yeah. the, the level of attention to detail on every watch they produce was it's it is just phenomenal and i guess one of the, one of the reasons that i'm still into vintage seiko is that very fact that that you know this is a qc you know maybe they mucked up a few in the factory but they certainly didn't make it out of the factory you know so they obviously had a very stringent um you know process and and certainly their quality control was phenomenal and i think that you know i think 70s japan it's not just watchmaking i think you know we were talking cameras yeah. you, you look at all the mm-hmm. gear that they were making and they're pretty much the same with everything that they did um but but certainly that's a really strong point for vintage seiko is that that the 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 attention to detail it's it still blows my mind which is yeah. <laughs> and and ultimately you know this watch that i'm holding this panda you know what was it i think roughly it might have cost you 125 dollars somewhere around that you know that's at a time where perhaps you know your rolex might have been three you know your mm-hmm. submariner might have been 350 maybe something like yeah. that so you're talking way less than half the price i suppose at at the time of sale you know i mean obviously things have changed with both brands now you know but purchasing back on those watches now but um you know they weren't the 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 uh i call it the um yeah the the the, the ratio um the craftsmanship to cost you know yeah to, to produce you know that level of detail consistently you know for that price is just phenomenal you know like incredible so and definitely that's one of the the reasons that i'm sitting here talking to you right now i think so yeah and uh so we might just run through drink checks quickly for the sake of it i'm having just a cocktail with some orange juice sparkling water and a bit of a of cherry liqueur because it's uh, morning but it's getting late morning so i can drink now <laughs> and on on your side for this hot weather ah uh, yeah so um i guess the hot weather like you know normally i'll probably be sitting here with a beer but i'm not tonight you know i, I guess i was a little bit uh not nervous but i've got a, a dimple uh <laughs> a scotch uh which is a it's a nice. 12 year it's a blended scotch whiskey and i drink that straight so um yeah that's what i'm on at the moment uh you know i'm not downing i'm not sculling it down but a, you know just uh, a neat whiskey <laughs> for me uh, 
you know, it's 9 p.m. or something now. So that that's all fair and reasonable, no doubt. But, yeah, um, yeah I never mix anything with my scotch. So uh, may, maybe sometimes a bit of ice. But, yeah, um, no, it's just, awesome. just straight out of the bottle at the moment. So... Um, and 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 concerning your your collection because you kind of mentioned you had grown it a bit on your own but it's certainly evolved since then so how would you describe your collection today what's it composed yeah, of so it, it's 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 got smaller surprisingly um i'd say over the last maybe maybe two years i'd say so you know i got to this point i think as a lot of uh, watch collectors probably do where you think goodness me you know i'm i'm pushing having to wear a one watch each day for half a year before i get through the rotation you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know when you're getting up to numbers and certainly i did get up around the 150 watch mark and and that's wearable you know um with with project watches on the side as well you know and when my collection was at about 150 you know, 30 or so of those were Seiko LCD digital watches, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and so you start talking about batteries and, you know, it, it did, it kind of did become unmanageable uh, to, to some degree. And so I did sell um, a lot of my digitals for that reason. And I, I really loved my time with the digitals and I've held on to maybe about five um, that that were really special pieces to me, and and one thing with digitals was that, that for me, you know, in the end, it had to be about condition for a digital watch because you know of most of, most of them got worn pretty hard, you know, by just you know they weren't expensive watches at all. On that point, though, I do remember um, my, my my time with Seiko. I, I realised um, a few years ago did actually go right back to my childhood because I wore uh, quite a few Loris watches when I was a kid, um, yeah. which is a connection I sort of only, obviously Loris is a subsidiary and ha always has been of Seiko. Uh, it was their sort of their cheapest brand. You know, you, you've got Loris uh, moving up to Pulsar, moving up to Seiko, yeah. moving up to Grand Seiko, moving up to Credor was sort of, you know, is the way things, you know. And so it's just strangely, you know, um, I realised a few years ago that I probably had three or four Loris. You could probably picture a yellow and black um, digital watch, you know, very plasticky sort of things, but they were great watches, you know, and, and um, you know, that that it interested me because I had no idea really, you know, um, but, but I do remember wanting it um, because the Seiko digitals at the time during the eighties, when I was a kid were actually kind of a bit expensive from, for me anyway. Um, and I couldn't really afford, I'd sort of, you know, had friends who, who might've had one. You might've had a friend with a Casio, you know, yeah. uh, calculator watch and things like that. But you know, I mean, if I was going to buy one of those myself, you know, there's a fair bit of saving to do uh, to, to get one of those. And so I never really achieved that. And that was actually, you know, once I got into watches, that was probably one of the reasons that I actually ended up buying pretty much every uh, great digital um, Seiko that was out there because I kind of couldn't, <laughs> you know, so, so there's certainly kind of <laughs> and certainly part of that too and and i really really love i had all the all the seiko calculators i had you know it's it's in there's some incredible um digital watches that they made 
Um, but I found them unsustainable to some degree in that, you know, you can, you could obviously take the batteries out of them all and just sit them there and just keep them, you know, but what's the point of that in, you know, I thought to myself, so, you know, I'd, I'd rather someone else be enjoying them. So I had a kind of big clean out of digitals and, and, and hung on to a few. Uh, and the, the, the few I've got, like, for example, you know, there's a G757, 5000 or the uh, 5020 which is a notorious octopusy james bond it's got a big black horseshoe sort of plastic um it's big square sort of watch uh incredible yeah, i'm, I'm looking it up you're looking it up yeah so g757 certainly uh oh yeah i see yes those yeah so so i still have one of those and i still have a few others that i put in that sort of um league i suppose that are that are mm-hmm. quite desirable and um you know another one called the running man which um you know so i won't go into them all but so i've hung on to a few and and but a, a couple okay. of digital and so my collection now but i'd probably say look you know sitting around maybe 75 sort of seikos um and they consist of um of you know automatic dive watches so you know you you're talking about your 6105s and 6309s and the 702s that i mentioned before the 7002 so your classic seiko divers that we all know you know we've all seen them there's certainly plenty of those in my collection um and obviously then um automatic chronographs so right back to the the tokyo olympics 1960s the mono pushes, the one button chronographs, it just absolutely yeah. love those watches. So they're my sort of early chronos coming up through into your, you know, 6139, 6138. And, and only Psychos in the collection or do you have also some other brands? Or- Interesting you mentioned that. At one point I probably was split between Tissot and Seiko. So I had quite a... Okay. Uh, collection of Tissot watches, um, you know, which are, I think, the subsidiary of Amiga. Uh, it's a connection there, certainly. Um, and I loved those watches, you know. Um, but, yeah, I, I just got to the point where, uh, for me, um, I just um, I kind of dabbled in a few other brands and I just kept coming back to these Seikos. And then, really, you know, I just got crazily obsessed, I suppose. <laughs> And, and still to this day, like you'd think really at my age, you know, I'm 49, that I would have branched out into several other brands. And I certainly do appreciate, you know, other brands for sure. I, you know, I appreciate watches, you know, whatever brand, to be honest. Uh, yeah. Sometimes for me, it's uh, the cheaper, the better. But certainly I, I never disrespect, you know, the Rolex of the world and the Patek and all, all the rest of it, you know. I, I, but they're not watches that I sort of want to own. But I'm happy to, mm-hmm. to look at them and talk about them and see pictures of them. But, yeah, just very one-eyed, which is it's just a bit sad, really. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it, no, it's not. It's, 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 I mean, well, there is... Well, there, there's some practicalities behind it. Sorry to interrupt. They, 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 and part of that is parts transferability. So the great thing with Seiko is that, you know, you can you can get into the hobby of vintage Seiko and, and you start to find that, oh, hang on, 
you know, across the the different calibers that, you know, there's parts interchangeability, you know, mm-hmm. so, um, you know, you can buy this watch to fix that watch and they, they look totally different, you know, on the outside, you wouldn't know, but yeah, there's, there's parts that do um, sort of cross over. So you've got this pool of, of used uh, stock, I suppose, where you can mm-hmm. you know, get parts from, and that is becoming quite an issue, really. And that those sources are definitely drying up, or have over the time that I've been, you know, around them. So, um, have you witnessed a drying up of these parts of the watches? Yeah, yeah definitely. Yes, yeah, and but the, the, it's not to the point where there's no hope. It's just that you now have to look a bit harder and ask a bit further, and you know. So, but let let's say, for example, you know, your your sweep hands on your Pogue, your red seconds hand. Okay, so you know okay. they they now, and of course, you know, you can't. Well, you can. Uh, they, they they need to be restaked. So if you want a, a, a second hand from one pogue to go to another, they don't just basically. It's not a matter of just taking it off one and putting it on another because they're set to a position, um, and you can restake them to you know to uh, to get them back to a, a position where you can place them on. But obviously, okay. the tubes split and all the rest of it. So mm-hmm. so an example would be that that those sweep hands suppliers you know my friends and people that are on instagram that used to be that used to have them no longer have them and you ask them you know can you get them and you know every single source that i know of is is pretty much dried up same with you know 6105 dive hands you know the sweet mm-hmm. hands on those are you know very hard to come by and you look to be fair there's some there's some decent aftermarket parts out there and they serve a purpose you know if you've got a watch there that you've got a 6105 and and you've got everything there but the sweep hand is you know eaten by black mold you know the black death and it looks terrible uh, you know definitely an aftermarket part in that case is going to bring your watch you know into a position where um, you know, you can wear it and it looks decent. So it's one of these things where, you know, I'm not against aftermarket parts, but what I am against is, you know, um, disclosure and dishonesty and, and people, you know, cobbling watches together and then calling them original and all the rest of it. So that's been one of my passions over of the course. years. Is to that's, of- become, that's become a main issue in vintage watch collecting, not even just for Seikos, but exactly. Rolexes. Obviously, because there's big the money behind. But in every brand, in, in, in every, like, the lip I have on my wrist, I bought from my watchmaker, from one of my watchmakers, and he specifically told me that the case was ruined on the watch. So he found uh, another one in a good enough shape. So basically, my, my watch is all original except from the case, which is yeah. the correct case. Yeah. And I mean, as I'm, the day I'm going to sell it, if I sell it one day, I'm going to tell the person I'm sending it to. The case is not the original case of the watch. It's a period correct, same case, same period of manufacture, but the old case was broken. It had to be changed. And and we were talking just before going on air about the the bottoms auction of cycles that got uh, that got cancelled, all because. Because all these disclosures, all this honesty isn't always straightforward and and uh, and people don't always play the same game. That's right. And I've heard a lot about vintage psychos and the aftermarket parts problem, but not being in that market, I don't know how bad it is, how how easy it is to get uh, 
to get things wrong and 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 to buy a Franken watch today when you're searching for vintage Seiko. Yeah, extremely. So it's probably it has to be in my mind the most um, prolific issue in the in the and as you see from that the Bonhams auction, you know, like it's it's a massive issue in vintage Seiko and and look. I'm well aware that that, that people uh, may look at uh, at vintage Seiko from outside vintage Seiko and think that most people, you know, who are into it are quite mad, you know, <laughs> for these sorts of things. And and I could totally see why some people would think that, you know, like guys just get over it, you know, like. But to me, it's a, it's about it's about the truth i suppose and it's about you know with a vintage watch i mean i don't know so so many varying um people's uh opinions and attitudes and and some people be more than happy to have a pogue on their wrist with an aftermarket dial and i'd never hold that against anyone you know you walk past that person in the street who's going to know who's going to know that that's an aftermarket dial no one because it looks Mm -hmm. you know not even a collector at that at 10 feet's going to know that it is an aftermarket dial, if you see what I mean. So you've got the yeah. pose on your wrist and that's totally, you know, but the price difference between that watch and the real deal is significantly different and should be significantly different for the reasons we spoke about before with that attention to detail on the dial making and so on and so forth, you know. So, but let me tell you to answer your your sort of question, it, it is massive. And not only is it a massive issue, there is some serious uh, fraud, <laughs> I can tell you right now, going on in the industry mm-hmm. right now. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm talking about um, casebacks being obliterated by bare polishing the whole uh, numbers off the back. You know, like this is like rebirthing cars. You know, so yeah. um, you know we're at the point now where where people are professionally erasing the backs and re-etching them to look original with serial numbers and all the rest of it, um, and reselling them mostly on eBay and making a lot of money from from watches that are really you know not worth a lot of money worth probably a couple of hundred dollars and they mm-hmm. might be you know pulling you know sort of 1500 to 2000 and that sort of money uh, I'm talking Australian um, from from watches that are that are junk but have been professionally refurbished in a in a way that is actually dishonest because they, they're selling these watches as original and many people mm-hmm. are buying them thinking they're original so it's a it's, it is a big issue um and you know there's a lot of money changing hands so you know i feel i've always felt that you've someone's got to know so there's there's got to be people that know what's what you know and and that's important yeah. it hasn't been seen as important particularly because, um, you know, over the years people have thought, well, there are only Seikos, you know, why would you mm-hmm. fake a Seiko? You know, why, well, I think we're starting to see why you would fake a Seiko, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> some of the prices are getting a little bit eye-watering, you know. So um, it's certainly being, um, there, there's a lot going on out there at the moment and there's things that even I don't know about. <laughs> so, but I can certainly uh, tell you what's original and what's not. And, and that for me has come from, from 
honestly hundreds, you know, if not thousands of hours of looking at watches with loops and, and just, you know, that experience you get over the years, um, mm-hmm. you know, lo- looking, just looking at watches, you know, and um, to, getting to the point now, some of the dials, some of the parts, you know, I'm, I am honestly struggling to, to tell the difference uh, between. Mm-hmm. So that's how good uh, things have become. But so you- what would you give advice to someone who's looking for a specific cycle or model of vintage and who isn't sure? Is it to maybe um, not take things too seriously and just watch out not to spend too much money just to be safe or to dig deep, uh, ask questions, talk to people like you yeah. to have their, their opinion? Yeah, I think if it, it – look – Everyone's different, but I guess if you, you know, if you're going to shell out decent money, you, you, you know, and you, you, you're wanting to know that it's original, there's definitely people around, you know, I mean, I'm always happy and, and probably most days, if not, you know, several times a week, you know, I do get watches come into my inbox, you know, mm-hmm. you know from people I've never even spoken with, met or whatever before saying, G'day, you know, you're into Vintage Seiko, can you have a look at this? I'm thinking of paying, you know, this and I've had a look and it looks okay to me, you know, and and certainly I'm willing to help people out like that anytime. Um, but that's a, certainly that's something that you'd want to do. And if it's not with me, you do it with other people. There's, mm-hmm. there's, you know, hundreds, literally hundreds on Instagram who have the level of knowledge that I do. You know, I'm not you know, sort of some unique character that knows more than anyone else. And there's certainly things that I still don't know. That's another great thing about Seiko. But, you know, you can you can go from a position of, okay, well, I'm only going to pay a few hundred bucks for this watch. Maybe it is full of aftermarket parts maybe it's not but i like it and the price is Mm -hmm. right and i'm going to buy it and wear it and that's all fine but you know if you you're looking at at buying your your um, grail pogue or your 6105 6105 you're talking sort of two to three thousand australian now if not more and we you know supposedly saw a new old stock one go for ten thousand or something the other day uh, recently so the numbers are getting up there to the point where if you're going to spend a few grand on a, a vintage watch, I mean, surely anyone's going to be asking, unless you're, you know, unless you've got more money than cents, as we say, um, you, you <laughs> want to be asking someone who knows before you lay uh, that sort of money down. So, um, but yeah, you, what the great thing about the Seiko community um, and, and the watch community in general is that there's people out there who are passionate and more than willing to, to, to sort of help answer those questions. When these watches come into my inbox, you know, some of them I don't even need to click on to, you know, to <laughs> bring the image up. I don't even, I, I can tell within honestly two seconds that, that that's got several issues and I won't even go further than that generally. Um, but I'll, you know, give a person back an assessment, you know, and say, yep, uh, steer, steer clear or you, you go ahead and buy it if you want. But to me, the value of that watch is around x amount i guess that's the other thing that probably you know i've become i suppose reasonably good at over the years is is values and i always say to people it's one of my least favorite topics uh, a vintage watch value because to me they have more value than than their monetary value um so yeah of course 
well, as I was saying, if you're going to pay money, good money for a watch, you want to know uh, what you're getting. You just it's it's all about that disclosure. So, mm. um, and there's one specific model which you appreciate and and which we have already talked about a, li a little is the psycho pogue. Yeah. So from from my point of view of a non knowledgeable uh, psycho collector, the psycho pogue looks like a very 70s watch, a 70s case, bright yellow brush dial chronograph function and that's just about all i know about this watch yeah so maybe you, you can yeah maybe yeah. you can present it to me in a better way you know, what's so important about the psychopogue yeah so and and just with the it's got that pepsi bezel as well which is you know that sort of um you know, yeah so what's so special yeah so i guess First of all, it's important to discuss, you know, there are some hardline people out there who sort of believe that the, the Pogue, you know, obviously Colonel Bill Pogue, William Pogue, astronaut, you know, the story goes, everyone perhaps knows the story or can read it on the internet, but, you know, he, he had his Amiga issued uh, watch on, on one wrist and he mm -hmm. supposedly snuck his... Uh, his yellow dial 6139-6005 because of a US uh, variant um, onto the, you know, on the he took it up into space and he did that because he trusted the watch he trusted it mm -hmm. more than the Amiga theoretically and that was because he trained using that watch and, and it's, it was, he says it's to do with the timing of the engine burns And he'd used that particular watch, his own personal watch that he'd bought uh, during his training, and he trusted it, and he liked it, and he knew that it worked. And so he eventually, you know, put it in the pocket of the suit and took it up with him, which is probably against protocol. So, so it's a it's a kind of a good story, you know. That that watch, just while I think about it, was eventually auctioned, uh, and and to be honest. I don't think anyone knows where that watch went. Uh, it sold for around about $6,000 in, I believe, 6,000 US, his actual watch. Uh, I think it was, uh, look, maybe 2013, something like that. So we're not talking oh, really? that long ago. I may be wrong on the date, but look, it was in the, in the 2000s at some point. And um, I'm not sure any of, the Seiko community, maybe someone will DM me after this, knows who bought that watch and where it is. And because and, I can tell you right now, there's there's a hundred thousand people out there that would love to know, yeah. <laughs> would love to see that watch, you know. And his, his what's the deal? <laughs> funnily enough, his his watch had a replaced uh, subdial hand and a few other things. You know, it was pretty beaten up uh, by the end of its day. So uh, it's an interesting looking piece. You know, it, uh, when the the, the internal um, you know rotating ring. Uh, the, chapter ring uh, is quite faded you know down to a sort of they go mm -hmm. from yellow to sort of a more white color so here's you know it's, it's a good uh, looking vintage watch yeah so so that, that, that's the sort of backstory in in you know very basic terms and some of those small mm -hmm. details may be incorrect um but you know this is skylab 1973 i believe so his watch was uh, built in september of 1971 so we know okay. that from the serial number on the back so he, his watch was built in 71 we assume you know he bought it maybe 72 something like that uh, the mission was in 73 
So there we go. His his watch went out into space, and it was used, you know, as part of his his tools to, I guess, what do you say to pilot the ship or whatever you know you whatever term you'd used so um so some people in the community uh, the hardened sort of seiko collectors maybe would say that okay a pogue is only that particular variant of the watch it's got to have the yellow or the gold um dial um okay got to have automatic only under the seiko logo because that's the north american dial it's got to have the 6005 on the back because that's the particular north american variant it's got to have the same day wheel in it so on and so forth so and that's what we call a true pogue and you'll see okay. if you look uh, if you look around on instagram you'll see someone will post one up and they'll say it's a true pogue so that's the true pogue some people say that's the only Pogue, you know, but but I certainly not for me because therefore we know we have a blue dialed version and we have a silver dialed version and we have something that's close to my heart, which is a gold dialed version with a black ring rather than a yellow ring, the inner rotating ring, which is called in the community an Aussie Pogue, um, which is a, a story in itself. Um, but I won't talk about that at the moment. So, so they've all they've all become, you know, really the, the majority of collectors will call any sixty one thirty nine six zero zero, and then you can add an X on the end because there's the six zero zero zero, and there's a six zero zero one, and there's a six zero zero two, and there's a six zero zero five, and there's a six zero zero nine. Okay, and then, and then we've got the different dial colors and so on and so forth, and um, you know, really, we all call that particular case shape and that particular watch a pogue um rightly or wrongly but you know, i think it's rightly because you know so we say a silver pogue a blue pogue and so on and so forth things have sort of extended a little bit there now because blue dial version was known to be worn worn by your is it francois siebert the race oh, i had no I had no idea. Okay, so <laughs> you've got a good French connection here. Okay, so so one of your Siebert, okay. yeah, uh, he he was, I believe he was, I believe he was killed in an accident on the racetrack fairly young, is my understanding, but he raced his uh, F1 type cars in uh, in a uh, blue dialed version of that watch. So many people call that particular blue dialed version of the same Pogue shaped watch uh, the Sievert now, and and that's all well and good. And I like that connection, you know. And I and I sort of um, you you know the Seiko uh, collectors love nicknames, right? Um, mm -hmm. uh, all collectors, always collectors love yeah, nicknames. Yeah, yeah. And so so um, you know another example would be the the six one zero five. Eight one one zero, the one you know, asymmetrical case diver. You know, um, you'll hear it called the Willard. So, yeah. um, um, Captain Willard. You'll hear it called the Yumera, Naomi Yumera, who was the Japanese explorer. So the, you get these um, nicknames for one model from you know different, and people take a preference as to what they call that particular watch, if you, if that makes sense, and that'll be what they. They like to connect to that, you know, um, mm -hmm. but you know, it's all fun and games as far as I'm concerned. And, and I like it all. And, you know, I wouldn't certainly argue and say, oh, no, you know, that's not a Pogue or that's not a Yumera or you, if you see what I mean. You know, 
Okay, so yeah, yeah. Um, so going back to the Pogue, and and so that probably gives you a little bit of information as to why they're you know kind of totally, called, yeah. called what they are, and and certainly um, you know a call have a term the desirables, you know, amongst vintage Seiko, you know, certain models have sort of. Uh, risen to the top over the years and you've got to remember it it's been a, an amazing journey to watch all this over 20 years because um i can sort of remember pogues i can definitely remember pogues being sold under 250 all day every day we're talking 250 australian dollars which would be somewhere around you know 100 like euros US, yeah something like that you know though those same watches now the good you know the nice examples are sort of up you know 1500 1800 with 2000 i have no idea how much these these watches cost on the market for a decent model bit bit a pogue or a severe or yeah so it's very very um it's quite a broad it's quite it's quite varied um mm -hmm. yeah and this is the thing with vintage seiko is that things are sort of still uh how would you say is it unsettled i suppose so you can see one mm -hmm. oh you know a nice let's take an eight out of ten nice example gold dial pogue you could see one you know sell for let's say 1200 australian or let's say 1200 us because probably more people can relate to that you know and yet two weeks later that same watch might sell for 3000 uh, us so there's a bit of emotion in amongst that. There might be mm -hmm. a bit of a you know dial variant issue, or there's some that are a little bit more rarer than others. And so you see these really wide uh, sort of price ranges. So you, there's sort of no sort of set figure. And and I guess you know I'm not sure you know we're talking between you know is there retail prices and this sort of thing. But certainly in my mind. Let's say you know, and a really nice, you know, sort of nine point five out of ten gold dial yeah. true Pogue. In my mind, that that's a three thousand dollar watch Australian. So let's say two and a half US, okay, somewhere around that figure um, for a true Pogue for the same you know variant that that Pogue had. But you might then you know if you don't have that sort of money to spend on watches. You could go and find yourself one that you know is not the true one, but it's mm -hmm. no one's it looks the same, and who cares of the collectors, whatever. <laughs> and you you know you might pick one up even under a thousand US uh, for a nice example. So you know my thing, this is something I haven't mentioned yet, is that um, in my, I built I've built my collection. The seventy five watches I sort of have now in my watch box, I haven't paid. Uh, more than oh, I've got two watches that I paid more than a thousand Australian for now. Um, I I think that you set yourself uh, a budget limit for each watch. That's right. right? Yeah. So so I I set myself because for me this is a, a simple point I suppose in that you know I can I can own five watches you know you know many I mean, brands outside of Seiko maybe if I wanted to I could you know obviously sell the watches I have and have you know, a nice you know, Rolex sub and I could have a this, that and the other, you mm -hmm. know, and I've got these five what might be grail watches for people, you know, certain people and I could have those five. But for me, you know, I like the, I like the, the variety and I like to have, I like, I'd, I'd prefer to spend 
that money on a myriad of different watches, if that makes sense, because they all bring, <laughs> you know, they all bring a smile to my face, you know. So, so early on in my collecting days, my, my first, um, my first sort of high point was 250 Australian. So there was a time probably for about five years where I wouldn't spend more than $250, you know, and that's, that's, mm-hmm. let's say 200 us on any watch. And, and at that time, you know, I was getting pogues <laughs> for that money. Um, I was getting you know, some of the nice divers that are now quite expensive. And so, so as the years went on, I had to raise that to, to 500 and, you know, and then I was still uh, pulling you know, 6105s, for example, under 500 Australian. Um, and and that was my limit. And then eventually, yes, it got to a thousand, which you know you think about is actually very very cheap for for some of the watches. And the, the two watches I paid more than a thousand for one was a, a six a six three zero six seven thousand one, which is the um, turtle. What's that? Yeah, turtle. Okay. Yeah, turtle cased, uh, and it's the JDM version, so it's going to have a kanji. Uh, Japanese kanji uh, English day wheel. So if you look up six three zero six seven zero zero one, and you'll see some probably nice buttery loom, a nice vintage, uh, beautiful cushion yeah. case uh, dive watch. You know, I paid. What is called the? Why is it called the JDM? Ah, uh, so the JDM. So, um, so that was so the the six three zero six was the domestic. Uh, within Japan version of the watch, and then the okay. 6309, 7040 or 7049 was the rest of the world. That's what the rest of the world got. So the, the JDM watches with the with the kanji English day wheels, they didn't get sold outside of Japan. Uh, they were only you could only buy them in Japan, um, and and um, the rest were, went out to the world with, say, an English-Spanish day wheel. Um, mm-hmm. But they did have different jewel counts, as I said before. So they're not exactly the same. Well, they're very similar watches, but not identical. So, um, And and uh, some people covet the JDM watches, and, and, and that's all fair and reasonable. I used to myself, but I kind of have grown away from JDM watches a little bit in that I've... Uh, um, I developed more of an interest in in the the watches that were sent out to our part of the world, so to Southeast mm-hmm. Asia and Australia. So, um, and they're the ones that I sort of covet more than the the Japanese domestic market uh, variants um, now. So, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it's 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 very um, intriguing from an outside point of view because it's a uh, it's very subtle. And uh, basically, there's no preset of rules yeah. when you're collecting these. That's it's basically, right. yes. you just find your own niche that you like. That's right. And dig it's, deep it's, like, into it. it's like when you go down that rabbit hole, you know, sometimes you get to a point where you can go left and right and you, you sort of take a certain, you know, path, I guess. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, um, th- th- so going back to where I was, so I paid eleven hundred for one of those six three zero sixes, and and mm-hmm. honestly, um, those are one of my, you know, they're definitely in my top top three diver uh, vintage Seikos. The six three zero six, absolutely love them. Just amazing watch on the wrist. Just that broad, flat uh, diver. Um, have you ever handled one at all? 
I I have recently because uh, the watchmaker I bought the lip from yeah just received one. Um, I I can't tell you the details of the reference because I I don't know, but it's true that uh, it's not a watch I I I ever found beautiful on on photographs. But he had a really nice vintage one, so the loom was nicely aged, yeah. and the case really sits snug and flat. That's which right. surprised me because yeah. I was expecting a more bulky watch. That's really. right. Yeah. So they seem to have they seem to be able to wrangle these big. Uh, dive watches, tool watches, and just finesse them into these shapes, you know. And it's all, you know, when you look deep into it, it's all very, very calculated. You know, the the angles mm-hmm. that come off the where the watch sits against your wrist, and you know when you when you turn your wrist, you know. And it's the same with a four o'clock crown, really. You know, moving the crown to four o'clock so that when you bend your wrist, you know, you haven't got this three o'clock crown yeah. digging into your. You know, these are all sort of small details that are all very purposeful. You know, the angles that cut back from the case from your wrist, you know, Mm -hmm. and your wrist back. And, you know, you think about when you're in a diving situation and you're underwater and you are moving your hands a lot and you might be grabbing rocks or spearfishing or whatever. These watches are designed and made to be very comfortable and functional on your wrist, you know, and and you certainly do see that once you get one in your hand and you put it on your wrist. And, I mean, the the 6105, um, which is the predecessor to the the 6306, 6309 that I just spoke about, you know, just does it like no other watch that I know, you know, it just, you know, the case back is just sort of sunken into the back of the case, you know, so it sits sort of flat and it's broad mm-hmm. and it, they're just incredible uh, details that you only sort of really appreciate once you start wearing them and thinking about, you know, why they were made. And I can totally agree. And it's it's exactly what what I felt when I handled it. That's right sort of see those angles you sort of look at it and say wow you know and a big broad yeah. flat, what 42 millimeter watch you think oh it's going to be mm-hmm. you know there's this whole issue about it doesn't wear like a 42 mil no. what's that it it doesn't wear like that's a 42 right. mil watch. Yeah, that's right so um, um can, uh, paul can we just pause one second i just have to take the dog out like a two minute pause definitely and then we continue is that okay for you yeah. do you want five yeah. minutes no, just maybe three minutes. Take your time, mate. Come on, boy. Come on. Chapter 2. The Downfall of Snow. Oh, Snow. So, here you are again. At my doorstep. Have you not learned your lesson? Wait. Is that a... Hattori Hanzo? Hmm, you must have progressed since your last try. Let's see what you got. Tatakai Mashu. raged on, the two fighters taking to the air and rising higher and higher into the sky. People from miles away could see the flashes of lightning and feel the ground shake at each blow dealt by the hen and the Frenchman, wondering what kind of sorcery was at work. 
Ha! You are good, my feathered disciple. But you see, hens don't fly, and we're in the air, so try to avoid that. Come here! <laughs> evil cause, evil effect, as the saying goes. Hmm, I guess it's roast chicken for lunch. Now, back to our guest. Come on, boy, come on. Come on, let's go. Sorry about that. You uh, there? Not at all, right? There we are. Sorry, I had to fill up too, and I'd forgotten my beer downstairs. <laughs> very, so I will find now. <laughs> very important, very important. Awesome stuff. I mean, it's uh, it's great to hear you talking about these these models, which I kind of see every day, but don't really appreciate as much because of the lack of knowledge. So um, that's awesome stuff. Um, I, I, I just wanted maybe to talk a bit more about another project that you've been doing for a few years now. Which is, uh, geez, <laughs> I'm breathing heavily. <laughs> I just <laughs> ran up the stairs. <laughs> it's uh, an account you share with uh, someone called James, and it's called Two Vintage Psychos, and it's a kind of a very, <clears throat> very unique thing on Instagram. It's basically a place where you can, where where anyone can buy a vintage watches, mostly psychos, but also some other brands, and it's kind of an auction during 24 hours each day for a watch. Uh, can you tell me more about about this project, how it came up to be? For sure, yeah. So um, I think 2017 was when we started up and, and a little bit of the backstory. Um, James, you're right, uh, he lives in Melbourne, so he lives in another state. Um, I'm in New South Wales, uh, so we're a fair way apart. We have probably six, seven hours uh, drive by car. And interestingly, mm-hmm. um, still to this day, James and I have only uh, met in person the one time. So we've only <laughs> sat down together uh, at a watch meet that I arranged in, in Melbourne a few years back, uh, which is, is quite incredible, really, that, you know, um, we've sort of built this um, we've built this page, uh, Instagram account, you know, really um, through, you know, t- talking over the internet and, and, and um, you know, texting and, and all the rest of it. And, and, you know, we're not two guys that sort of know each other uh, well personally, I suppose, although we do, we've come to know each other. But, um, you know, James's account is at Seiko Man. 35 so that's his personal account mm-hmm. um, and I met James really through eBay so um, James was selling a lot of watches um, on eBay and and I'd bought a couple really off him over the years not many at all but um, really the idea um, sort of came from that in that you know I said to him one day I said look the the thing that attracted me to James was his ability to to find uh, great watches Uh, and and that ability uh, he you know has built um, from connections in Japan and and Mm -hmm. you know the the romantic way to put it is that you know he he has a, a group of people in Japan who are who are on the street who are at the markets 
who are okay. you know, on the ground. Um, just just picture, you know, some old uh, Japanese guys just wandering around the markets, maybe with their hands tucked <laughs> on their backs, you know, walking around the stalls and looking and picking up, you know, watches that that are just here, there, and everywhere in Japan. And and is, you know, is, is that the truth, or is it just a it nice is, romantic image? You know, it, <laughs> is the, it, it is the truth. It sounds romantic. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. But it is actually the truth, you know, and so so that that James has that fantastic connection and relationship with you know several people in Japan uh, that can pull those watches from the street and and bundle them up, you know, and and once they've got you know twenty thirty of the watches that that they know we like, you know, they get bundled up and shipped out here to Australia, and and once they come to us, you know, that's not our only source. Um, this country, Australia, seems to have, and you know, whether it be, you know, that close connection to Japan, we're sort of in the same region. But certainly, you ask anyone in Australia who's lived here in the seventies, eighties, sixties, you know, about Seiko watches, and everyone, you know, their family member or someone's had one on their wrist at some point. So we do have a lot of Seikos here in this country, and so between. Between our, our local um, watches and those watches out of Japan, you know, we do uh, seem to be able to keep the stock flowing, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's really how James and I sort of came to, to, to be. And you know, the the idea, you know, it did. It was a, as I say, it's a back of the napkin. So it's me sitting there one day saying you know, really, do we really need to be giving this money to eBay and, you know, the commissions to eBay and is there a better way that we could do this? And we both sort of joined Instagram. We're both pretty fresh to Instagram. I think I joined in 2016. Um, And, you know, the, Mm -hmm. the concept, I thought, well, you know, there's a comments section. Why not? Um, you know, I mean, the obvious thing on on Instagram is that okay, you've got a watch or a couple of watches you want to sell. You can sure you can post a couple of pictures and say, "Yep," and this is mm-hmm. what happens still, and a lot of people do this. Is yep, you know, I'm ready to move this one on. If anyone's interested, DM me for the price and so on and so forth. But I thought a bit beyond that, and thought, well, you know, is this a place where you could actually run auctions? And and to be I'll, be honest with you and say that I can't believe that we're still allowed to do it. Um, but, you know, we're, we're a <laughs> yes. private. One of the issues I think in our favour is that we're a private account. So you have to sort of ask, you know, you have to yes. have these things where you have to request to join. And look, I would assume after this amount of time that, you know, uh, Instagram's not unhappy with what we do and, and, um, I suppose if they got complaints about us and they got um, people were contacting and, and, and contacting Instagram and saying that they bought a watch and they got ripped off and all this, then if those messages were going back to, to Instagram, there may be some issues. But, you know, we try to keep uh, our buyers happy and we try to be honest and we try to do things, you know, with open disclosure. And so we get very few uh, complaints and and you know so we've managed things in a way that you know I guess there's the respect is there and the account so really I put it to James and said look do you want to give this a go you know like um, and mm-hmm. lo and behold the thing seemed to work but it was kind of built off this theory of what is the simplest form of of um, of selling a watch not for a fixed price but but putting it out to a community of collectors 
and letting them decide, you know, what the price of the watch is. And and you could you could say that the the bids that go into the comments are, are, are offers, you know, for that watch, mm-hmm. you know, um, and you know whoever gets the best offer within the twenty four hour period gets the watch, you know. So it's it, it's an eBay type concept, but it's it's more of a collector's, uh, you a know, collector to collector, that, private. Well, yeah. uh, and so it's, it stays a private transaction like you would on right. a forum. Yeah. For, that's right. For and instance. so we wanted something in a, in the most simplest form um, that, that could achieve that. And the platform, you know, seems to have worked very well for that. The only hitches we get is this sort of eBay has this very fine countdown system where an auction ends. Mm-hmm. And of course, the platform's not quite built to deal with those final second bids. And so we've managed, of course. Uh, we manage that from day one by thinking about it, you know. And and one of the things that you'll notice is, yeah, we have this thing called the sniper rule, which means the auctions run for 24 hours. And our theory is, you know, we didn't want people coming in in the final minutes, theoretically seconds, just sitting there watching, 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 and then throwing a bid in on the comments in the last period and yeah. getting the watch for someone who's been sort of showing interest in that watch by bidding throughout the 24-hour period. So from day one, we sort of said, okay, well, how can we address that issue? And the way we address that issue is that if you, you've got a 24-hour uh, auction, which does run pretty much to the second, um, but if you haven't shown interest, if you haven't put a bid down or a, you know an offer down for that watch um, during the 24-hour period, um, coming up to the last 15 minutes, you have to have shown your intentions that you're interested Mm -hmm. and you're prepared to buy and pay for that watch. If you haven't done that with 15 minutes to go, you're out. You're not in the game for the final 15 minutes. And that's been... Does that mean you have to regulate some people who do this or in due time has it become a known rule and and, and it now kind of works of its own? Yeah, so it, it works on its own in that, and some people have been caught out by it. So if you're a new a new buyer and you come in and you it's not it's not a format where you can sort of write these rules down for each auction. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's word of mouth and people have to understand how it works in order to sort of you know follow that rule and um, get in on the action, I suppose. So, but. So we put, you know, when there's 15 minutes left, we say, okay, the sniper rules in, you know, so anyone who's bid so far is allowed to continue with that mm-hmm. last 15 minutes of the auction. And if they've had a bid down already, then they're entitled to go right to the end. And so that was a, a, a strategy that we sort of thought hard about initially. And, you know, it's that old eBay, we all hate, you're sitting there and you you think you've got the watch yeah. and put your bids in and then all of a sudden and there's all apps and all sorts of things that can actually snipe bids for you on eBay and, and put that I in. use them. I I've been right. guilty. I, I use right. Ocean yeah. That's right. And, and 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 that's all fair and love and war with eBay, you know, but but we wanted to try and avoid that a little bit and say, okay, well we want your intentions known. We want we want those bids there before you sort of come in in those and and really we've done that for the buyers as much as us, you know, because we know what people want. We've been buyers ourselves and we know how that feels to have a watch just slip away from you in the final seconds yes. 
So that was our way of managing that to say, well, look, you know, if you're going to buy the watch, you've got to get interested early and show your interest and then and then go for it. You're right there till the end. So and that that's worked really well. Um, as I said, people have been caught out by not knowing it and they'll chuck in a bid right at the end and they've got the winning bid, but then they get a message from us in the DM saying, look, this is the rule. You hadn't bid. You can't just drop into an auction right yeah. in the final moments. And then the, the watch will go to the person who did follow the rules and did have that bid down. So, And, and it's it's worked really well. I mean, the other thing about two vintage Seikos and the, and the main points are that we describe our watches warts and all. So our big thing is that, you know, eBay, the descriptions, you've got all the information there, which may or may not be correct. What we say, you know, and why, you know, we've got the 8,000, nearly 9,000 people, that buyers there watching the auctions and participating in the auctions is due to these issues of uh, disclosure. You know, if something's not working, the date wheel sticking, if a button's sticking, if this is not right, then it'll be Mm -hmm. written in the description so that when that watch comes to you in your mailbox, you know what you're going to get, which is not eBay, is it? You know, with eBay, it's going to be, okay, I think this is what I'm going to get, but I'm not quite sure until it gets here, you know, but but we try and take all those surprises out of it. Um, And the other thing, I suppose, is the reserves. So, you know, essentially, you know, the reserves start at what we need to get, you know, we're not going to list a watch at a loss, all those Mm-hmm. Having said that, sometimes we do. You'll notice we have no reserve auctions. So obviously we didn't get these watches for free. Um, and mm-hmm. so, But we put our trust in our buyers to say, okay, well, it's a zero reserve. We know it's going to make, you know, a certain amount because there's people there watching and you're not going to let a, a 6139 go for $200, are you, if you're a Seiko collector, <laughs> if you see what I mean. So so sometimes the reserves are, are, are not even um, they're not even relevant in that, you know, you know that there are people there who are going to pay money for these watches because mm-hmm. we know they're good watches and we know um, we, we sort of stand by them. So, But what we try and do is keep the reserve at the very cheapest, you know, sort of price. So there's a starting price. And, and, and on many, many, many occasions, the watches have only gone just beyond that. And that's all well and good. The person's mm-hmm. got the watch. They've got a bargain. Um, as far as making money, which is not essentially our primary concern, to be honest. You know, we're, we're a collector's club, I guess, you know, is the way I like to put it, and we move watches around to people who want them. And sometimes mm-hmm. that comes with profit, sometimes it doesn't, you know. And so, but the whole thing is enough to sort of keep everything flowing. The watches are getting onto people's wrists, and that really is the philosophy um, of the sales page is that, okay, well, rather than list this watch at its retail fixed price, let's give people an opportunity. And, and look, I can think even in the last two weeks of some of some fantastic bargains that have gone out to people. And that's a great thing. It's a good feeling for us as well. Um, and so it just rolls on, you know. And, and um, mm-hmm. I've seen only good feedback from, uh, yeah, from was, Two Vintage yeah. Psychos. I've participated in a couple of, uh, of auctions, but uh, there's the... There's a time difference, which means often I'm sleeping 
And that's obviously one of the issues is, is that we can't please everyone uh, with the end times, you see. And so we did actually change. When we started out, we had uh, an 8 o'clock, 8 p.m. Australia finish, and we did get feedback, you know, that, oh, in the U.S., that's 4 in the morning or whatever it may be, depending yeah. on who you are. So we kind of ch- change it to 10 p.m., which is, you know, means that we're up <laughs> to 10 p.m. every night, you know, finishing auctions. And and shout out to James again, who, you know, he probably manages more auctions than I do, you know, and that's, you know, that's a big commitment to know that we run 365 days a year. We run Christmas Day. We run New Year's Day. We run three every wow. day of the year. And so, you know, that's a big commitment in, in some ways. Um, but, you know. It's huge. That that finish time, yeah, was sort of in the end of the at the end of the day, we just had to throw our hands up and say, "Look, we changed the time to this. We're going to please these people, but we're not going to please." So it is what it is, and and I guess, look, you know, if I, if I was keen on a particular watch, or it was my Grail, or something I was really keen on, and I've done this, you know, for eBay. You know, I've set alarms at four in the morning and, and those sorts of things. And then that's all part of the fun, isn't it? You know, so um, <laughs> while it's not ideal for, for, for everyone, you know, it's it, it works. And and our, our theory is too, well, if you don't want to be up at four in the morning, bid your maximum, you know, price what you're prepared to pay. Mm-hmm. Wake up in the morning. You may have got it. You may not. If you have, well, good on you, you know. So, yeah, sure. so you know, that's the way it goes. Um um, I'm I'm really impressed because it's it's like a full time job what you're describing. Yeah, honestly. yeah. Look, incredible <laughs> amount of work. That's right. And so, look, and it's a way we're hobbyists. Both James and I have full time jobs, you know. And so, you know, some days you do get worn down by these things. But overall, you know, the connection with the connect collectors and the the whole thing, we're we're passionate guys we we love vintage seiko and and we go the extra mile i suppose and so you know then you you know you talk about shipping you know you think how often we're at post offices and these sorts of things and and look what else are you going to do with your life you know we we sort of say well there's worse you know habits we could have and worse things we could be into and you know we're just hard-working people and and we just love the community and we love putting nice old seikos on people's wrists all around the world if that makes sense you know and and that brings us you know happiness as well um and so it it, it really is uh, that that more community sort of uh, minded thinking i suppose rather than this sort of commercial how much can we make out of this and mm-hmm. you know how much money can we pull in for ourselves it's, it's really not about all that it's 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 more of a as i said a community and a club and and we love um the fact that people you know respect us and and talk about us positively mm. and um in a world where where 90 of ebay cycles are franken or not in good condition or yeah. don't have a nice description what you have to propose is very important i feel yes for the watch collecting a community that's right yeah thank you yeah and I, I agree and um yeah so look it's been um look i when i when we started it when we kicked it off i actually thought maybe three to six months and and things might sort of you know maybe we couldn't source or maybe you know mm-hmm. maybe things wouldn't work out or maybe 
um, you know, maybe Instagram had issues with us or, you know, who, who knows, but here we are sort of three, uh, nearly you know, coming on maybe towards four years later and things are still rolling along. We did start off with just listing one watch every 24 hours and obviously sourcing, we've been, we managed to sort of, um, we've managed to list most often three, sometimes two watches every 24 hours and, and talking more about the format um, you know, we have what we call our A, B and C auction and, and the way that's generally run is that the, and this is about giving everyone a chance to, to get involved, is that mm-hmm. our a, a auctions are our sort of the cheaper end. So if you're a guy who might only have a spare few hundred bucks to spend on watches, there's something there for you each day. If you're mm-hmm. into the sort of that middle of the road, you've got a bit more money and, and they're, they're the B auctions. And then we have our sort of the desirable C auctions where you, you're sort of getting up into sometimes the bigger money, you know, and, and certainly, you know, there's obviously buyers out there that have a lot more money than other people. And so, you know, we try and provide um, each 24 hours each day, we try and provide that variation of a, you know, a cheap middle of the road and a, and a more expensive vintage piece so that, you know, everyone can get involved at every price point, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's another thing that we've sort of um, focused on as well. So, and look, um, yeah, it's been a blast. Um, um, it's still going and we you know, hope it goes for longer. There's been talk, you know, okay, do we move from Instagram to our own website and these sorts of things, um, which is something that we've talked about and may consider. But Instagram for us at the moment just continues to work and work well, mm-hmm. uh, and we're just happy with the way things are. And we just—it's sort of like you know, why fix you know something that's not broken? So um, it's yeah, it's 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 a it's a blast and something I've really um, enjoyed being involved with, I suppose, and and look forward to to continuing i suppose a little bit of development in that sense as well in that you know as far as sourcing yeah things are getting more difficult definitely we've have we have fluctuations in the us australian dollar and when those fluctuations you know um things can get financially tough because you know if you mm-hmm. imagine buying watches in us dollars generally from japan you bring them over here, we sell in Australian dollars. That's also been another little point of contention. Some people do want us to sell in US dollars, so it's a bit more universal. Um, and, and certainly that's something we've wanted to do also is sell in US dollars. But one of our um, one of our things is that people like buying from us in Australian dollars because the Australian dollar is pretty weak. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. So so people's buying power becomes a bit uh, better if you're buying from overseas. So we've sort of stuck to, um, and in the end, really, it was the buyers that wanted us to stay in Australian dollars. I think um, the most, and, and it's part of the charm too. Yes, no, yeah. it's a, it's kind of this. You know, it comes from abroad. It's a yeah. There's all your story behind. It may have been sourced from Japan through Australia. Then you buy it if you're in Europe or yeah. or in the USA. It's 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 part of the watch hunting procedure. Yes, which right. is part of the, the, the fun for me. That's right. Yeah, great. That's great to hear. And certainly, um, yeah, it's it's been a blast. And and um, yeah, look, I can't 
I can't shout out to James enough because the guy, uh, he's a machine, honestly, um, as far as <laughs> he's got great experience, been doing it for many, many, many years, you know, prior to two vintage Seikos. And he's got a great system where he can just, you know, uh, he uh, amazes me sometimes. So uh, good on you, James. I know uh, hopefully you'll listen to this at some point. So um, yeah, it's certainly uh, he's a hardworking guy. Um, so yeah, that's it. Uh, uh, you know, sort of awesome uh, stuff. Now, awesome. It's it, I can encourage everyone who's listening to just uh, subscribe to Activity Psychos on Instagram and and have a look because every day. It's a surprise, you know. It's like opening a very true. Uh, and, the, and the other thing is that you can actually get, um, follow along and watch the auctions and and not bid at all, and it kind of still costs, if you know what I mean. So, um, and you learn a lot about the watches, true, uh, just yeah. by looking because the description is very detailed. Yes. There are there are lots of photographs of every angle of the movement, very often too. Yes. And there's also a post with the video. Yes. So, so you really get a very precise uh, image of the watch, and often it's watches sometimes you've never even heard of, yes. and it's 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 just like browsing through eBay just for your own knowledge, which we've probably all done, just watching uh, auctions go by. But there's so much detail and it's so consistent that I think every day I've got a there's a friend from the side group which is uh, at uh, Watch Symmetry, who has already. Bought from you guys, yeah, Tom. And, uh, Tom. and yeah, and and very often in in our conversations on Instagram, he just sends me your posts. So like every day, because with the algorithm, I don't see all all the all the time the two vintage cycle posts. Sure, sure, yeah. But he sends me one every time there's something intriguing or interesting, and he basically sends me a post every day. What, what, what yeah, one of the psychos posts? Yeah, and that is, that is that is it's great to hear, but it is true as well because there's certainly just a you know even if you're not buying, even if you you never buy a watch from from the from the account, there's enough interest there just in the in those pictures yeah. and the descriptions and the information, and we try to be informative and we try to give off little bits of information and connections and you know. Uh, you know, famous people who may have worn them, and yeah, you know, we try and give all those details just to to give that interest in the the watches as as much as an education as well as a place to buy, you know. And so, obviously, mm. people with with keen eyes, you know, we open the backs, we show the movements running, we will we'll give a little, you know, people with very keen eyes will spot things, you know, we try and just lay it all out there, you know, and we'll give our opinions and, and but also people are, you know, they're intelligent and they can see things as well that, that they say, okay, well, you know, I can see that that one's got some wear on the rotor and, you know, and, and here and there and actually that's not the watch for me, you know, and, and there's sort of details that you don't really get on eBay. So, and that's what we mm -hmm. try to do is just put it all out there and just let people know what it is that they've got the potential to have and and and, and they take it from there you know so so yeah and um, awesome stuff so go check out at two vintage psychos um this podcast is probably going to end up in in a two-part episode because it's getting long long and that's awesome <laughs> and I, i think that's a reflection of what vintage psycho has to offer in a collection sense, because it's it's so wide, so varied, so humongous that it, it doesn't even hold in a single podcast episode. 
Yeah, very much. And and look, you know, I'm I'm touching on some, you know, really <laughs> the things that go on in my mind. I mean, honestly, you know, <laughs> sit here for another four hours and and keep going and and tell you some stories about watches I've found and and watches I've bought and 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 many many you know stories over the years. And you, you honestly, you'd be here forever. But you know, I'm trying to sort of uh, keep keep it to the um <laughs> no, the basics it's perfect yeah, so, um. it's it's perfect but what i wanted to do because uh because the vintage cycles are such uh is such a wide world and since there are tons of cycles to choose from and like me i i wouldn't know what i want for my connection i've had a vintage world timer from the olympic games I've had a couple of other. I, have, I had a Belmatic in my collection, and I've never really settled on a on a single model. I'm very attracted right now to the vintage King Psychos and Grand Psychos with the Zahatsu polishing. And what I wanted to do is play a little role playing game uh, where I'm going to play uh, a character, and Paul, you are going to uh, tell me which watch would maybe suit me. Uh, in my collection. So if you're up to it, we're going to go go about it. Yeah? Sounds good. So first one, I am a French 36-year-old collector of vintage French and Swiss watches mostly. I love hands and taking nice photos of watches. I have been wanting to add a vintage psycho to my collection for a, a long time, but don't know which model might fit in my collection. I would like a quality piece with finish to the standard of my Swiss vintage watches. So you probably guess that's me. That's <laughs> so that's Paul, you. any ideas <laughs> to what, to what <laughs> I could add to my collection? <laughs> I think if you you ask, you know, sort of most people who know about vintage Seiko, they're sort of they're, they're going to sort of you know you're talking to the Swiss and the quality. They're all they're going to Grand Seiko is going to sort of start coming. You know, into people's minds, and 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 well, they should. You know, and and we all know. Well, perhaps some don't. That you know, Grand Seiko had a period where they built watches in the sixties and seventies, and then they actually stopped. You know, and so there's a period of, uh, you know, and 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 moving forward, they've now become a, an ind or a separate company from Seiko as such, um, and you sort of think, well. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be picking some Grand Seiko. Uh, mm -hmm. I kind of nod in some ways because um, I think, you know, I think there's plenty in the in the vintage Seiko world that would that would fit into those, um, you know, those attributes that you're looking for. And um, my my pick for you, just you know, we don't know each other, and you know, we haven't talked much, but. You know, I'm going to be going for you mentioned just before the the, the Olympics, the 1960s, but that's where the mm -hmm. caliber 57. Um, just uh, getting a feel of the the size watches with your lips and that you, you'd you'd like, you know. So we've got a 5719 and a 5717 uh, one button, the mono pushes, and uh, yes. certainly a couple on my account. Um, but you know, we're talking sort of 36 millimeter, maybe 38. I can't yeah. remember quite what they are. Um, but you know, you look at the movements in these watches. I mean, great historic value. 1960s Tokyo Olympics and and Seiko. It's their home country. You know, they're mm -hmm. watchmakers. They're timing the Olympics. They're, I mean, look. 
you, you've heard of the, the the one that sits in between the five seven one nine and the five seven one seven is the five seven one eight, which was a uh, um, similar to the mono pusher. Uh, but had an extra button, which was a counter just on the dial. So mm-hmm. uh, you've got your start, stop, reset uh, pusher on the top, and down the bottom you've got a, another pusher, which is just all it does is to have a counter in the center of the dial, and you could press that to, you know, maybe you're counting how many laps at the Olympics your runner's done around the track, and you can hit that button and one, there's one lap, two there's two laps now the thing about these watches and they are the most expensive uh they are the most expensive vintage seiko that is on the planet and they are very rare and they're very rare because they were given to the officials at the olympic games so you got that was part of your uh, if you were an official at the at the Olympic Games in '64, you were given a, a suit, you know, with the Olympic logo mm-hmm. on it, and and uh, a part of that suit was this uh, these watches, of which I'm pretty sure we're talking maybe a hundred or two hundred were made for these officials, um, and these uh, sell for extremely, you know, I think, you know, so we're talking twenty five thousand, <laughs> uh, maybe oh. thirty thousand uh, US something along those lines but you know but you can the... find some mono pushers because i i have to say it's it's funny you mentioned these these mono pusher chronographs because i have a few friends who who have had some and i nearly bought one from a from a french collector maybe one or two years ago yes because and... they are really appealing they have a nice size they have very clean a beautiful beautiful watches and actually when you open the case back the movements actually I, I look at the movements in those watches and i don't actually look at them as a japanese movement they actually look more like a swiss movement to me very very refined I, i've just found an article on watch time which is called psycho chronograph chronology and they start with the caliber 5719 Yes, and there's a photo of the caliber, which is it is beautiful, beautiful, a, yeah. beautiful, beautiful mm-hmm. watches. And so, so um, my pick for you is not going to be the 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 uh, the, the five seven one eight because you know the, these are yeah, the unattainable uh, prices that you know. Um, but but just the the you know for for a couple of grand, let's say, mm-hmm. you know, and I've even I, you know I have picked them up in the last couple of years for fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah, um, just you know find one with a nice uh it's original bracelet i have two i have um i have a very special one that was purchased uh, it's a gray that gray charcoal dial with a steel uh, bezel they have a friction bezel so it's not a click bezel it's just a, a friction um, bezel that you can turn um uh, to set you know if you wanted to time something Beautiful charcoal dial. My mum was, um, it's a bit of a long story, but it was purchased within Vietnam, uh, so in the field by uh, Mm an Australian military guy. Um, Awesome. And I ran into this guy uh, during my work and we started talking watches, as is often the case with me. And he told me about this watch that he had, had no idea what it was called, what model it was, but he described it to me. Uh, and said that it was sitting in his drawer at home uh, and he bought it, you know, at the PX, which is the uh, P-A-C-E-X, which is the Pacific Exchange, which is basically the military store within the compounds, essentially, where soldiers could go in and buy cigarettes, radios, watches, 
whatever it may be. So this fellow that I ran into had bought his uh, in the field. His position in the army was actually very interesting as well. His role was um, incredible, uh, very tough. Um, uh, the Australian government didn't recognise his role as though they were, they didn't exist, they didn't happen, what they did, you know, so on and so forth. But he uh, eventually, um, he bought that watch into me again at work and he wanted to give it to me. It wasn't running, it did have a few issues uh, because he knew, uh, you know, I was a collector uh, and you know, very kindly offered to, to give it to me. I ended up you know, purchasing awesome. from him because I couldn't to face because it's quite a valuable watch, uh, particularly with that history. And he uh, he wrote out a whole spiel uh, about where he got it, where he bought it, uh, you know, which awesome. PX. Um, he gave me photos of him wearing it in the compound and just a really, really special piece. So that's a charcoal dial one I have. And I also have a silver dial which is a no date, so that uh, I can't remember which. I think the five seven basically one's a date, one's a no date. I think it's the five seven one seven um, is a no date, so it's just a, a pure silver dial, beautiful symmetry, uh, just an outstanding looking watch, perfect size, um, and they are absolutely stunning. And you know, we talk about. Uh, impressing your your friends you know that they're into the role and whatever else and and i guarantee you if you put one of these on anyone's wrist that they'll um their jaw will you know drop you know they're just absolutely stunning um so that's that's my watch for you my friend awesome that that's perfect uh brilliant stuff okay uh i'm i'm going to change my costume and uh put on another character so now i am a metrosexual model from new york I wear watches in paid partnerships with Holinky. I collect loafers. <laughs> <laughs> My fossil watch just died, and the guys at, at Holinky talked me into getting a psycho. So I want something every watch nerd would appreciate, but maybe on a vintage psycho budget. <laughs> no, first of all, okay. <laughs> I'm not sure I want this guy with a Seiko on his wrist. <laughs> but, but he, he's a nice guy, you know. He's just you know, he's trying to earn a living. <laughs> but if he has to have a Seiko, um, I'm going to pick him the panda. I'm going to pick the watch that I've got on today. So, oh, nice! And the reason, um, so. You know, it's that, just give us the reference again because yeah, then, uh, this is part two. You know, <laughs> six one three eight eight okay. zero two zero. So the iconic Seiko Panda. It's going to impress his mates. I can guarantee you that they will uh, appreciate the watch for what it is. And uh, yeah, I reckon he's gonna, you know, he can turn up to Red Bar. He can turn. <laughs> he can turn. <laughs> he can turn up in his tuxedo. He can. He can rock it down. As I said before, he can rock it down on the the Cali B chest in his uh, t shirt and whatever. And he, yeah, he's he's gonna please everyone around him. I'm sure of that. So awesome. <laughs> awesome choice. Okay, third character. There's five in total, you know, for people who are wondering. Um, so I am a big collector of independent watches. When it's not independent watches, it has to have some yellow on the dial or a fun complication. I wonder what kind of Seiko I could add to my collection of British and independent watches. 
Interesting one. Interesting one. So maybe I'll spin, maybe I spin off path a little bit. But when I think of British watches, I kind of think of, well, you think of you think of Roger Smith, you know, the Island yeah. Man and the, the pinnacle of watchmaking, really. Um, but I, I think of uh, when I think of British watchmaking, I think of uh, things like the Dirty Dozen uh, watches, and, mm-hmm. and I think of recent uh, watches like Vertex, who have uh, recently yeah. uh, sort of uh, produced, uh, you know, a version of their watch that was around on the the military guy's wrists, um, and mm-hmm. um, you know, it's it's not really fitting your brief, but that's what comes to mind when I think of British watchmaking and and British watches. And I'm going to give a quick shout out to a, an account uh, at Timely Moments, a fellow called uh, Daniel, who's a serving military uh, officer in okay. the British Army, and I'm going to give him um, one of the Mac V SOG. Uh, watches so a bit of a uh, quick history uh B S O G right yeah so uh, reconnaissance guys in the vietnam war uh, i'm going to give you a model number 70058030 uh, and this is a not a complicated watch it's not got a gold dial so i'm not fitting the brief but i'm giving this watch just because it reminds me of uh, british watchmaking uh, I like mm-hmm. the military connections. Uh, th- these were watches that were, uh, uh, it's very hard to explain um, quickly, but basically uh, reconnaissance uh, in Vietnam, these guys had to have um, cameras and watches, anything on their person that couldn't give them away as uh, military. So they're working okay. behind the scenes as civilians, gathering information, um, intelligence and these watches were ordered from Seiko uh, specifically for these guys uh, to put on their wrists um, as timekeeping devices that would not give them away it's just a Seiko watch they have a black uh, dial yeah. uh, with um, loomed uh, Roman well uh, so you yeah your military dial yeah and just like the dirty dozen a bit. What's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah just like, just like the dirty yeah. dozen, and, yeah. and, and just like the military watches. There's uh, there's Arabic numerals. The in Arabic loom, numerals right. in a big fat loom. And is it the Rolex? I'm thinking um, uh, uh, Rolex. Is it ten sixteen? Uh, yeah, yeah, a bit like the Explorers, but the Explorers have a three six nine. But these have all all the twelve numbers. Yeah, the Explorer one, but with all the twelve numbers. Yeah, very very sort of similar. So so look, that's the watch I'm going to put on his wrist. Yeah. So just just so everyone can get it, it's it's the Psycho Seven Thousand Five, eighty thirty automatic Mac V S O G special operations issue, and it's a beautiful. It's got kind of a round shape. Yeah. Uh, very late 60s it's and three hander of 70s. Very, yeah, 300 automatic, 17 jewels with a date. And very, um, well, let me put it this way. I think, you know, I've, I sort of keep this count of my, uh, my story with this particular example was an interesting one. I found one on eBay um, and it was the most nerve wracking option of my life, definitely. Um, and I ended up snagging this watch. It sat at $30 Australian for 10 days. 
So the auction went on for 10 days. Wow. It sat at $30 and it was a one picture auction. Uh, so um, at 10 feet and it was with another Felicia watch, I think they call them. So just imagine one picture of two watches at about 10 feet. And so you couldn't even <laughs> really make out which watch it was. And, of course, that's a dream auction. You know, you see that. You know the seller's got no idea what it is and you're hoping that the other people on eBay haven't spotted it and don't know what it is as well. Turns out that in the last minute or so, there was one other person who obviously knew what it was, but the auction still finished at around $250 mark. I think I got it for $220, uh, $220 Australian. Uh, Fantastic. Uh, To my knowledge, if I had to pick a number of those out that I've seen in collectors' hands, it's got to be somewhere around the 25 watches worldwide that have come out. Oh, really? Yeah. So, and and we don't know what the initial order was, but it would have only been in the hundreds, no doubt. So, so that makes it a watch that's only ever been around in maybe the several hundreds to begin with. And then, of course, a lot of those would have got damaged and probably, you know, lost. I've got one on my phone now, which is on the website Hub City Vintage. There's one for sale yes. from 1969. Yes. It's at $1,250. Yep. It's I'm guessing it's US dollars. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's really a perfect example, and uh, yeah, it's not so much. And I I like the choice you made because by describing this collector of independent and British watches, I'm describing one of the co-hosts. Well, one of the hosts of the podcast, uh, Independent Time uh, with Roman. Yes, um, who is a collector, and it's funny because I did a show with him. Uh, with someone who collects uh, CWC watches, so military yes. British watches. Yep. He did a show with uh, with someone who has written a book about Marine National watches. So he's not a vintage collector, but he's been kind of drawn to the vintage military side. So it's very funny that you mentioned. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> so that's the watch for him for sure. And look, yeah, um, sure. <laughs> and and just on Hub City Vintage was he also that's Seth uh, in the US, of our, quite a good friend, I'd say for for many years. Uh, incredible, incredible guy. We talked before about, um, uh, you know, how do you, how does someone who doesn't know what to look for, um, but get into vintage mm-hmm. Seiko? And and you know, one of the things I neglected to mention at that time was, you know, you buy the seller. Okay, so of course. <clears throat> Seth's been around vintage Seiko for many, many, many years. I believe he started off in a Rolex boutique where the watchmaker there passed on uh, a lot of knowledge to him, but he is essentially self-taught and he is an absolute master. Uh, he is um, an incredible guy who um, who uh, rebuilds, strips, watches uh, down, you know, the whole lot mm-hmm. and rebuilds them perfectly. And, you know, he drops bundles, I think, uh, on his website or on Instagram once, you know, he's got six or seven watches fully serviced and restored. Uh, and then they they drop and they go, you know, instantly sometimes. But it's just an incredible guy. And a shout out to Seth. Uh, um, I can't write to know good things about him. Um, yeah, just a true gentleman and, and, and an extremely um, 
proficient, so I say watchmaker, you know, he's self-taught essentially and, and just an incredible guy. If I was going to recommend for someone to buy, you know, who you want to go buy a, a good serviced vintage Seiko that's going to give you many, many years of trouble-free service and, and these desirable models that everyone wants, uh, Seth is one of the guys that you want to go to for sure. Awesome. Great shout out. Good to know. It's always a pleasure to, to, to have feedback, just basic feedback. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you've chosen very, very well for the first three. So I'm excited to, to see what you're going to come up with the last two. <laughs> so character number four, four, I am a serial steel sports watch collector and flipper. I've had them all, APs, Ptex, Rolexes. I often take pictures of my watches on bottles of champagne, but in reality, I can't stand alcohol. I'm sick of it all. I want to die. <laughs> I'll be selling all my watches, and I want to buy a full gold Seiko just to piss off my so-called friends. <laughs> oh, yeah, but it's, just, it's just perfect, you know. So, <laughs> so the first point I'll make, over my time in, in watches, it, one of these things I've seen, and it's, it's, a, it's a definite thing, is that Seiko has often been a, the sort of gateway <clears throat> drug, so to speak, for, for many watch collectors. Um, and a lot of, uh, over the years, I've seen people start with Seiko and then they'll move up and, you know, obviously it is a pretty natural thing for people to want to do. And so and so pretty quickly they kind of forget about Seiko and they'll move to Amiga and they'll move to Rolex and they'll, you know, eventually get to Patek. And, you know, uh, it's a very mm -hmm. common thing that I've seen. Um, which is an, an interesting thing in itself, you know, and I guess, you know, you sort of think, uh, well, uh, let's think about a car collector. They might start off with, you know, these cars and then they might uh, you know, get a bit more fancy and then they might end up wanting, you know, a supercar, you know, a Lamborghini or this, that or the other, you know. Uh, and that's something I've found interesting, you know, over the years. And occasionally you get these guys actually go back to Seiko, which is, and they may keep up with, you know, these other watches, but they bring Seiko back into their collection, yeah. you know, which is, is, is heartwarming. Not, not all do, and the majority don't, but you do get some guys who, who do then realise that, okay, you know, the thing with Seiko, I suppose, is that they're a working man's watch, really, and they always have been, and they've been affordable, and they're not a brand that you sort of uh, think... It's not a high-end brand. They're, you know, there's millions. Oh, just like Rolex was. Yeah, just like, Rolex, just like was. Rolex was. That's right. And 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 you know, um, things have changed a lot. You know, and Rolex has changed a lot. And and um, you know, I'll, I'll get on to uh, what what am I going to put on um, this guy's wrist? Um, and so my my first thought, the first watch that came to mind. We're, we're talking gold, right? Bling, yeah, gold. gold. We need gold. Yeah. You have to talk gold at some point. And, and it, it's got to be, it's got to be pricey, right? It's got to be, it's got to be yeah. expensive, or I don't know. The, yeah, probably a bit yeah. because he's going to to sell uh, two Nautiluses. He's going to sell uh, a GMT. Yeah. He's going to sell a Royal Oak. So he's got some money, so he can bling out and just not look at the price and buy something completely stupid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, the, my first thought was the gold Astron. Okay, so so 1969. Let, let me bring you in here. So we're talking Christmas Day. Okay, Christmas Day. This watch was released 25th of December 1969. The world's first quartz wristwatch, the Astron. I think they call it the 35 SQ. Plenty of bling. So you've got a gold cushion case with, uh, yeah. I'm trying to describe it. So you might be able to look it up. So if you look up the 1969 Seiko Astron, we've got a, a, we got a pretty blingy watch. You know, it's, this thing is, um, you know, pretty incredible. With lots of special case finishes. That's right. It's not brushed, it's kind of... Yeah, uh, some sort of carved sort of case. Uh, and I think it's got a vertical uh, striped uh, dial. But let's talk about mm-hmm. this watch in that they were 12... Uh, four, 450,000 yen in 1969, uh, which uh, is equivalent to 1,250 US dollars in 1969. So I think we're impressing our, our friends, you know, uh, yeah. with the um, rarity and the, the price that these now bring. But interestingly, this this the, the Quartz Astron, which was actually reissued recently as well, um, was the same price as a Corolla in Japan at the time, which is, is kind of mind-blowing, you know, like um, as this was the technology, um, you know, this, this, this Quartz watch. Um, and the, the fact that they bought it out on Christmas Day, just it always makes me laugh. Incredible, <laughs> uh, incredible uh, watch in that. Crazy watch. At the time. Uh, I think they were rated at plus or minus five seconds a month, uh, which is one minute over a year accuracy. And that at the time was a hundred times more accurate than any automatic wristwatch on the market. So you've got an incredible piece of history there. You've got plenty of bling. And I think, you know, this steel sports flipper is going to walk into the room and he's going to say he's got a Seiko on his wrist and they're all going to laugh at him. But I think... And it's quads. <laughs> but I think, I think the joke's on them because what an incredible piece of history yeah. and what an incredible watch. Uh, he, he might want to... He probably have to have pretty deep pockets. He'd probably have to sell quite a few Rolex and quite a few other watches to be able to afford one. I'm not sure what they bring. Really? Um, they're not cheap. Um, maybe 20 to 30K now, I'd say. I'm, I'm, I think there's something like that. So, uh, but look, it's, you, I, it's a completely crazy watch. Yeah. The case is, yeah. is incredible. Yeah. And, and, and at this point in time, I'll give him an alternative, which is, is a watch I own, and I own two of them, uh, which is um, you, you probably um, look this up. Um, the Grand Seiko 6146. Eight zero three zero, and so this is a watch uh, that I'm lucky, very, very lucky to own. And look, if I had to give away wow. all my watches and keep two, uh, they'd probably be the two I'd keep. And certainly, um, whenever I post mine on Instagram, uh, it certainly uh, you know, gets a uh, gets a few people excited. That's for sure. So. Um, what to watch <clears throat> amazingly so you can see um, oh. you've got one up there yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So we've, got uh, a, we've got a hand hammer hand hammer yes uh, case yes that's right hand hammered steel case in this occasion they did make an 18 karat 
gold one, which might go better on our steel sports watch flippers uh, wrist. Yeah. Um, yes. But the a high beat movement. That's right. High beat, thirty six thousand uh, beat movement. Uh, incredible uh, movements. And you've got what they call the starlight dial, uh, which is this texture of white gold and yellow gold, sort of flakes, sort of laid over the top of each other. Um, my two just very very special watches to me uh, one of mine has a patina dial and has turned uh, quite gold whereas actually they were quite a silver uh, sort of white gold sort of dial um, my two incredibly are five units apart uh, my suspicion is that they were uh, export Grand Seiko so at the time Grand Seiko was only making watches uh, in Japan in the, the JDM domestic market somehow these weird steel case versions came out um, into the um, into the rest of the world market in very very mm-hmm. very small numbers uh, and I'd say I'd be guessing in the hundreds at the most um, I know of you know maybe again 20 or 30. Uh, worldwide um, the two I have uh, uh, I won't go into the story too much but the, the fact that they're five units apart on the serial numbers means obviously they were made in the same month the same year 1969 and being five units apart they must have sat on the the Grand Seiko Masters um, desk at the same time in Japan mm-hmm. in 1969 as he was hammering those case marks in. Each mark on that case is is a bang of the, the hammer and the mallet or whatever it is. Um, and, Incredible. Um, the two I have, you know, w- w- which were found separately here in Australia, um, actually both came off eBay uh, cheaply. Uh, and um, to have them five units apart just absolutely blew my mind. So maybe maybe we'll chuck one of those on his wrist instead of the Astron, and I reckon. Yeah, yeah. I've got a picture of the gold one, which is incredible. That's right, and that's a solid 18-carat gold case too. So so they were definitely sold within Japan. Uh, The stainless steel case ones that I have are unknown, and but, there's enough uh, there's enough information in my mind to know that they were definitely uh, an export only model so the stainless steel case version would not have been sold in Japan someone's someone in Seiko or Grand Seiko has said let's make a couple of these a bit cheaper um, because the 18 karat gold case one would have been quite expensive and they've said let's do a stainless steel case version and let's send them out to let's say Southeast Asia or wherever um, and uh, they did it in obviously small numbers but um yeah very 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 special watches to me and um, i'll never part with them (laughs) (laughs) i'm i'm not a serial steel sports watch collector but i would definitely buy that gold one (laughs) (laughs) killer watch killer watch awesome okay last uh last pick and you're really impressing me with those choices because it's a whole world i'm discovering so thank you for that so the last character I am a retired 1970s porn star. I have hairy arms, a moustache, and I wear open shirts. <laughs> I need, <laughs> I need, or oh, oh, no shirt at all, and I live near Canberra. I don't know. <laughs> I need, um, I don't know why. I'm, I'm guessing this guy needs a pogue. 
yeah, to be buried with. He does. He, he needs it. <laughs> he needs it. He needs a poke. I, I, I'd give him. Like, there's two. There's two options. But I, you're right. He needs that. The poke. It's, it's just <laughs> iconic seventies. You know, it doesn't. I mean, just look at it. I mean, the, the great thing about the poke is it. Show me another watch that looks anything like it. You know anything <laughs> and you won't find one. They're just unique, crazy design that they came up with. If you sort of verbalised it, you'd say that's going to look terrible with a Pepsi bezel, gold dial. You know, big, big <laughs> cake. You're going to say that's going to look ugly. You know, but for some reason they just work and they are beautiful, beautiful watches. And yet he needs one on his wrist, gold medallion around the the neck. Plenty of <laughs> and uh, yeah, the mustache has got to be big as well. So yeah, he's a he's a pogue guy for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you were thinking of another one or no? Not uh, just this one. I had another one that there's a sixty one thirty nine six zero one two, which is actually an all gold version of the sixty thirty nine. Say that again. 60... Yeah, six one three nine six zero one two. And then if you put gold at the end of that, you'll see it has black hands and they came with a gold bracelet, gold case, gold dial, black hands. Oh, yeah. And and that's that's pimp material for sure, you know. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. <laughs> pimp but raw. <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> and not like the Grand Cycle just beforehand. <laughs> this is like raw, yeah, a raw pimp. <laughs> Awesome. Well, you know, uh, thanks a lot, Paul. I've had a blast just listening to you and discovering all these, all these things about uh, collecting a vintage cycle. And uh, I guess I'm going to come round to this someday, in a way or another. I just still need some time to dig deeper. But uh, you know, it's a very, very pleasant chat. And really, thanks a lot for your time. I think we're going to wrap this up. So just before we we wrap this podcast up, uh, we usually do Instagram recommendations. So uh, do, do you have someone to recommend to follow on Instagram? Or if it's not on Instagram, maybe a book or, or anything else? Yeah, for sure, mate. Yeah. And thank thank you for taking the time to show interest in uh, me and, uh, you know, the accounts and whatnot. It's uh, much appreciated. Um, yes, I do. Um, you know, we've mentioned my accounts and I'm not going to mention those again, but, you know, I just, you know, to be practical and, and I want to talk about, you know, people that I've, uh, you know, interacted with over the years and people I admire and respect, I suppose. And, and when looking at sourcing, you know, vintage Seikos, uh, we said before, you buy the seller and, and I'm, you know, I'm going to mention Seth again, you know, at Hub City Vintage, incredible. Mm-hmm. We're looking for great, old Seikos that have been serviced, that have been through great hands, that will give you years of trouble-free service, you buy from that guy without a doubt. He's in the US. Another account from the US is at DC Vintage Watchers. Uh, Mate Nick over there, uh, incredible uh, guy. Again, you know, he will describe things. He will, uh, he is very accurate in descriptions, uh, sources great watches, has them serviced. Um, you can't go wrong with DC Vintage Watch. Yeah. Nick. Um, in Australia here, I'd like to give a shout-out to Thomas Timepieces. Uh, great for servicing vintage Seikos. 30 years' experience. Incredible. 
One more, please. So, so um, it's, it's at Thomas Timepieces, right? That's right, yeah. And uh, Maureen's, Maureen's there. She'll look after you. And just be in fr- a French connection, we've got to mention BertNet69. Um, yeah, you, of you, you know this account. Everyone knows this account. Fantastic guy. Uh, if you want to, I use BertNet's account quite often as a uh, reference resource. You know, if you're looking, you want to look at a, you want to know what an original uh, example is of a particular variant, you go to Bert's account, you know, mm-hmm. one of the, the more desirable watches, he'll have it there. You can study it. The pictures are perfect. He'll, you know, show it from many angles. Uh, everyone, you know, respects and knows Bert and an incredible collector with a great passion and just a really lovely guy. And I'll leave it at that, my friend. Awesome. I'm I'm just going to recommend one person, uh, an account I discovered yesterday. Uh, it is uh, at Apollo Watches, but it's Apollo A P A U L O W A T C H E S Apollo Watches, and uh, I I just stumbled on the account, and it always mesmerizes me when um, I found an account with such awesome photos. It's mainly a photography, uh, a watch photography account, awesome of quality, not really vintage, but lots of psychos there, but really just for the pleasure of the eyes. Fantastic, and I'll uh, look forward to checking that one out, mate. So thank you very much. Yeah, really awesome photos. So go check out at Apollo Watches, and uh, well, thanks a lot uh, for for this chat. It's been really awesome. I'm going to divide. The, the podcast in two episodes because it's a bit long yeah and i and, and, and i knew that would probably be the case i tend to ramble and I, <laughs> I do apologize mate but um no no it's awesome and and we could go on we could go on <laughs> maybe we'll do it again yeah. someday mate yeah sure sure with pleasure and uh so what we usually do here is uh well i i'll ask you guys to follow fifth wrist on instagram of course uh, listen to the podcast there's lots of great shows from uh from lots of different people talking about lots of different stuff <clears throat> leave a review if you listen on apple podcasts it's always appreciated and uh do leave a review also of one of your watches on the fifth wrist website it's all community based and uh, for the fun of it uh, there's a limited number of, of characters so it's a great exercise um concerning all guests you can follow him at at vintage psycho at two vintage psychos at Psycho Busters and at Aussie Pogue. Everything will be in the show notes. Thanks again, Paul. And I always end this show with one last question to our guest. So, Paul, and you can answer this in any way you want. What is your next watch going to be? <laughs> the 2021 purchase, huh? Tough yeah. question. You've sprung that one on me too. Uh, I think, look, the, the missing piece from my collection is the iconic 62 MAS Diver. People will know yes. what it is and I've longed to own one and I've not found the right one for the right price, I'll add. Uh, They are quite expensive, um, but it's a watch that I will own uh, one day and I hope 2021 is the year. Awesome. Thanks for that answer. And everyone around the world, stay on time.